So, my dear friends, our journey through the Helltown experiments comes to an end this evening. But what an ending we have in store. Now, last time I left you on the ultimate cliffhanger. Do we turn left or do we turn right? Well, the good news is both options are explored this evening. That's right, you have two alternative endings coming up. Now, for those of you who are new to the series, don't worry, I've put everything together in this one video. And for those eagerly awaiting the outcome, you can skip right ahead to the final chapter. So, my dear friends, one last time, sit back and relax with your favorite drink, because it's time to listen. The sounds were deafening and sharp against my eardrums. Oh, shut up! I yelled, holding my hands to my ears, but it didn't stop. Sometimes it would get quiet, and I had time to think about everything. But right now I wanted to kill that harsh vibration it brought with it. The loud banging would not cease and the halls bore life to screams in the distance and weird growls. I sat in a white room with bad fluorescent lighting, chained to a wall by my left ankle. It didn't hurt much, just some bruising around where the chain connected itself to my body. It was long enough that I could walk about the room, but go no further than about two feet from the door to the prison I now called home. The lighting was that sort that glared at you and made your skin look green. It hadn't been turned off in the five days I'd been there. I sat in the same clothes I'd worn the day I went missing. Ripped jeans and a band t-shirt. A group called the Catherine Wheel. Some British shoegazing group I'd listened to for years, even though they'd broken up some 15 years ago. It was one of my favourite t-shirts. Only now my clothes were dirty smelling of sweat and shit. The temperature in the room would go from 90 to 55, and it drove me crazy. There was a blanket on the bed, but not thick enough to keep you warm. I couldn't get my jeans off past my ankles because the damn chain was in the way. I shouldn't be here, I kept telling myself, but it went on deaf ears as I was the only person in the room. It held a bed, a toilet, no sink, and I got visits from a mysterious attendant that would bring me food by shoving it under the door through a box when it was time to eat. It was never the same times, though. It wasn't like a hospital where you had time, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. No. I was trying to relax in bed, and the clock on the wall said 2.01am, and a dinner plate with mashed potatoes, green beans, and something that resembled red meat and gravy, was shoved under my door through the little flat box that made a click when it opened and closed. There was no rhyme or reason to any of it, and even though I was hungry, I wouldn't eat any of the food. Especially not after hearing the stories about what could be in it, or rather, what it was made from. I would take sips on the water in small amounts, because I was afraid it was drugged. I figured that if I sipped small amounts, then whatever they were trying to do to me would not take effect right away. Yeah, 
It was flawed logic, but it made sense at the time. It was just an idle curiosity on my part that brought me here, and for that I had only myself to blame, and in another part, thanks to a good friend of mine. Drew had called me out of the blue and asked if I would meet her for coffee. I met her at some little coffee shop downtown, and when I saw her come through the door, I realized that I barely recognized her. The very last time I'd seen her was at a cookout at my place nearly two and a half years ago. She'd come with her boyfriend, Bill, and we'd all had a really good time. They'd been newly engaged the day before, so it had been a bit of a celebration, but that the last time I'd seen her. She suddenly stopped returning any of my calls and texts not long after that cookout. I let it go at the time, and at first, I was admittedly a little hurt. Then I made myself move on. I'd thought it was strange, given how we had a long history together. Some twenty years worth of friendship. Eh, people change, though. Maybe something in her life had changed, and she didn't have time for me any longer. Because, well, it does happen, even with people that have been good friends for as long as we'd been. So, out of curiosity, I went along just to see what she had to say after so much time had passed. She had always been gorgeous too. Long dark hair, bright blue-green eyes, and a figure to die for. The woman coming through the door of that cafe on this cold, cloudy Ohio afternoon was not the girl I had grown up with. She now adorned short, greasy hair that was buzzed on both sides, and had put on about 25 pounds at least. I know it sounds like I'm judging. I'm not. Well, I mean... We all gain weight as we get older, but to be honest, she looked sick. She came in, looked around, and found me right away. She smiled, and I stood up to hug her. She smelled a little musty, and I noticed she wore a dirty dress shirt and an overly large button-up sweater, ripped jeans and sandals. I only thought it was strange because it was snowing outside. Something just didn't fit with her, and I'd wondered what had happened to her. She sat in front of me at our booth, and I ordered us two coffees. The waiters brought over a little tray of cream and sugar. Hmm. How have you been? I asked her, and I was excited to see her, regardless of how bad she looked. Okay, except I'm tired a lot, she said, looking down never meeting my gaze. Are you still with Bill? I asked her, inquiring about her boyfriend. She seemed to be afraid of my question, and started to move nervously in the booth, and looked around the room like she was expecting someone to come through the door. I looked at her more intensely. Oh, Bill's doing great. He got a sales job and lives in Oregon now. She smiled at me. I knew she probably wasn't telling the truth, by the way she seemed sad at my question. I was sorry that it sounded like they'd broken up. I didn't ask any further questions. 
So, what about you? She asked. You're still working for your mum at the shop? Uh, no, I work for a law firm now. Oh, I see. She said, looking at me this time, and I noticed her eyes were wet, as though she were crying, or about to cry. She wasn't interested in my life. I could tell she was trying, but she really didn't care. Something seemed off. Hey, you seem a little sad. Is everything okay? I mean, I haven't seen you in two years, Drew. She looked down for a long time, and when her big blue eyes looked back up at me, tears were streaming down them. Oh, I'm on a new medication, but the doctor says it takes a while to kick in. Depression is fun, she said in that sarcastic tone she'd had most of her life. It was why we'd become such good friends. We were similar that way. We were both punk rocket chicks with tattoos and a flair for sarcasm. I never recalled her having been depressed before, though. That just wasn't her. And I touched her hand sympathetically. I could see, by the looks of it, she was using all her strength not to run out of the door and curl up into a fetal position. Well, I'm glad you decided to see me anyhow. I missed you. She looked up at me and smiled. Then she turned and stared out the window of the cafe. I followed her gaze and I didn't see anything. She began to sob uncontrollably at that moment. I threw a twenty on the table, wrapped my arms around her and took her outside. When she and I got outside of the cafe, she stood with her head on my shoulder, just crying. Okay, okay, I'm here, I said, holding my friend. No, you don't understand. I can't be here. I don't know why I came. I was stupid. Please forgive me. I just don't know what to do anymore. I looked at her knowing this woman standing in front of me was a shadow of my former best friend. This clearly mentally unstable woman was in dire need of a professional. It scared me a bit even from the way she was acting. I don't understand what you mean. I'm not crazy. I know you're thinking that, but I'm not. I don't think you're crazy. I'm just worried. Can you take me home? She asked. I took the bus and I really don't want to wait around for the next one. It's over an hour away. I nodded and took her to my car and helped her into the passenger seat. I headed in the direction of an apartment she told me she was living in now. When we pulled up to the complex, I asked her if she needed help getting in. She said nothing. She just sat there. Drew? Drew? You okay? I never will be okay again. Not after. She stopped talking, and I looked at her. She was biting the skin on her index finger harshly, and her finger was bleeding now. Drew, honey, stop that. She licked her finger and then began sucking on it like she was enjoying a meal. She closed her eyes as though in ecstasy. I put my arm on her shoulder and she stopped. She looked up at me, helplessly. Let's get a band-aid. Here, I'll help you out of the car. I ran to her side of the car, opened the door 
and then took her into her apartment. When we got inside, she sat down on a mattress in the middle of the floor. There was no other furniture, and only a blanket on the mattress. She did have a first aid kit that looked as though it had been left behind by the previous tenant of the apartment. It was dusty. I found it under the sink. I wrapped a finger up with it, and then she looked up at me and smiled. <laughs> you always were the good one. Uh, if you say so. I remember it a little differently, I said, rubbing my sleeve of arm tattoos. No, you were, and your mum, she was like the nicest woman. Look, you still have that tattoo we got at the county fair by that weird travelling salesman psychic. She began to chuckle, and pull up her arm to show me hers. It was barely there, because the rest of it was covered with scars from what looked like attempted suicides. Karen, you have to believe me, I'm not going crazy. Please, can you help me? I don't even know what else to do. I looked at her and smiled. I could never get that tattooed over. Who doesn't love a creepy circus clown tattoo? I looked at my own. They had been crudely drawn and then tattooed on us. The same stupid stick figure clown named Creepy as an inside joke. Okay. Tell me then, what happened to you, Drew? She looked down at her bandaged figure, and her hair flopped over. There was a scar over her left ear that looked as though something had cut her scalp, and deep too. Do you remember when we were kids? We'd go down to Brandywine Falls at night and just wander around while Crazy Andy used to tell us about Helltown. How the National Park was part of a chemical spill cover-up that the only reason it existed was to cover up the mistakes of the auto companies that were dumping toxic waste. I recalled the stories growing up. In the mid-1970s, they wanted to clean up the wooded area around what is now Cuyahoga Valley National Park. There were a bunch of companies that were dumping waste into the woods, rivers and grasslands, and so a group of citizens petitioned for the cleanup. When it got turned into a park, those citizens were forced to leave their homes. The homes were demolished or converted into park ranger stations. It left a lot of empty space. And a lot of space for rumours. There was one about Satanists that went on a killing spree and killed a bunch of kids in a bus that is now haunted, as it just sits at the end of some woods, and that the chemical waste caused a bunch of mutants to be born. There were three-headed fish in the river, and supposedly weird packs of Bigfoot creatures living in the woods, and weird lights in the sky. The town was nicknamed Helltown, or Mutant Town, and I remembered it all to be ridiculous. What does all that have to do with anything? I asked her, trying to hold back that scrunched-up look on my face that I knew just had to be there. Well, I'm getting to that, she said, looking up at me, annoyed. I kept quiet while she told me the rest. Well, the night of your cookout, Bill and I decided to go to Brandywine Falls after, just to hang out. The moon was out that night, and it was gorgeous. It was almost morning, and we'd been up all night. So, 
Do you remember when Crazy Andy used to tell us about the time his dad and he saw the Grasslands monster at Kendall Lake? I nodded as she continued. Well, that night Bill and I were walking towards the falls. As we were descending the stairs of the park, we heard something make this weird, like, whooping sound. I freaked out, thinking it was coyotes or something. Bill was never much of a planner, so we were ill-prepared and didn't have any flashlights. So I used my phone's flashlight, as I directed it towards the sound. I saw it. There was a figure about eight feet tall, at least. It stood in the dark and blended into the surroundings. Bill and I freaked out, running as fast as we could back up the stairs, and went straight for the parking lot. When we got up the stairs, we booked it to the car. Of course, it didn't end there. I looked at her, and by this time she had begun to play with her bandaged finger, tugging at the band-aid. I could see blood peeking out from under it. Bill insisted we go back to that same park and see if we could find out what it was. He was sure it was a monster or something. By the next day, I figured we'd just been drinking. We lacked sleep, and it was probably just a trick of the eye. But not for Bill. So, we went back the next day, and we found nothing. He texted Crazy Andy, and he told us he'd seen some weird prints not far from Beaver Marsh. I guess it used to be a dump site or something. And so Bill swore up and down that he would get to the bottom of whatever it was. God, I wish I'd kept him from going back there. She began to sound scared, and I could hear the anxiety rising in her voice. It's okay to continue later if you want, I said. No, I want to tell it. I... I need to. I looked at her, nodding as she went on. Bill went off trail from the bike path that day, and we found this narrow little path with some tall grass along it. You could see nothing around you, and at the very end of it it was just a clearing, and the ground was really muddy. In the center were footprints, only not just any footprints. They were large and had claw-like markings at the end of the toes, almost like a bird would. I wanted to go back, but he insisted that I follow them with him. I didn't want to. I just had this bad feeling about it, but I couldn't stop him. When we got to where the footprints ended, there was a large stone wall that had a bunch of grass, old sticks and animal bones all around it. Underneath it was a rusty metal door. Bill insisted on me helping him get it open, so I helped him. When we opened it, there was a tunnel that led underground. There were these markings on the walls with scratches on them, and I could see traces of blood. I stopped and refused to go any further, but Bill wouldn't leave me. He kept saying to me, Look, babe, look what we found. This is so cool. This could be an old bunker of some kind, or an top-secret tunnel where they stored weapons during World War II. Oh, I knew better, though. I knew it was nothing of the kind. We followed that tunnel for what seemed like hours, and there was nothing there. There were no doors off to the side of it, no alternate routes, just straight in and down. We were going further down underground. Oh, it was so dark, too. The walls of the tunnel were 
old heavy stone, and the only light we had was a small flashlight that Bill had brought with us. She kept talking and playing with that bandage. Every time she bled, she would pause and suck on the blood that seeped from her index finger. I cringed watching her. Oh, it made me sick to my stomach to see her take pleasure in it. Finally, we got to an area where there were metal bars and what looked like an even larger tunnel on the other side of it. We'd reached a dead end, and so we turned back. But, just as we were turning back, I saw it. There was a dark shadow making the already dark tunnel even darker. And then... <laughs> We heard it. She'd stopped talking and began to cry, tears streaming down her pudgy cheeks. I went over to her and put my hand on her back, and she stopped me, ripping my hand away. Instead, she grabbed me by the wrist and pulled me closer to her face. You have no idea what lives under these streets. Karen, please. I looked at her for a long while, and then pulled my hand away from her grip. That thing is what really happened to Bill. What are you saying? Some creature killed Bill. No, no. Bill became what that creature is. Oh, they inject things into people. It's what got him... She stopped and started licking her finger again. I blinked and took a deep breath. I was sure my friend was losing it. I got up to leave, but before I did, I wanted to see if leaving my friend alone would be okay. I searched around the room and looked for her bottle of meds I was sure that she needed. I looked back at her, and she was again sucking on that damned bloody finger. I opened her medicine cabinet, and when I did... I found a ton of different medications. There must have been 30 bottles in her cabinet, all prescribed by the same doctor, a Dr. Zozo. She had to be hallucinating all of this. So, my best friend of 20 years had had a mental breakdown. Well, I guess it happens sometimes. I looked up at her and sighed. I walked over and sat down next to her and used a towel I'd found to clean her wound. She looked up at me, and then her eyes saddened. I'm sorry for seeming like I don't believe you. So, what happened next? I asked her, as I held on to her hand in the towel. As this thing came closer, growling and hissing, the metal bars lifted, and these guys in white lab coats grabbed us and then injected us with something that caused us both to pass out. When I awoke, I was in a white room strapped to a table, and Bill was nowhere to be found. They started me on injection therapy right away. What injection therapy? I was hoping this story had a reasonable explanation. <laughs> to make the babies... She looked down, and tears streamed from her eyes. Do you know, I had over ten, maybe twenty of their babies. She looked at me and began to cry. I had no choice but to hold her in my arms then. She was clearly traumatized, that much I knew. 
but what she told me next sent chills down my spine. <laughs> Look at what they did to me. She pulled down her pants and pulled up her shirt to show me large scars that looked as though they'd been repeatedly gouged with a sharp object. Bill wasn't any better. They started him on some weird medications. They would only let him see me to mess with both of us. They took amusement in it. They liked to see us together, only to be separated. The last time I saw him, he had these huge growths coming out of his face and arms. He'd started growing hair, and when he got unruly, they shot him dead in front of me. I was alone after that. She trailed off, then looked up at me again, as if asking if it were okay to continue. I nodded again. They kept me around for a while longer, so I could keep breeding those things. You know what the really fucked up part is? I still loved them, even though they were an abomination. I stopped being useful to them when I couldn't have any more mutant babies because my reproductive organs had shut down. They let me go. Instead of giving me my freedom, they keep me alive. They used to feed me hormones and weird drugs during the pregnancies. I think, but I'm not sure. They were building some sort of army of super soldiers. They keep me here in this drug-fueled prison. She trailed off, staring off again at nothing. Suddenly, she began to convulse and fell over onto the makeshift bed we were sitting on. Blood fell from her eyes and her mouth. Her eyes turned white, and she stood, grabbing at me. Her face came to life, ravenous, and her teeth began to grow into points. I quickly stood up in horror and tried to back away, but she chased me into the kitchen, and just as I was grabbing a knife to defend myself, she stopped. I'm so sorry, she said, suddenly tilting her head down slowly. Ping, pang, ping. A small silver marble fell from her nose, and then another, and another. They fell to the floor, as I stood in disbelief watching them. They rolled around until they finally rolled into each other, sticking together like magnets. I had never seen anything so weird in my life, although my best friend trying to eat me was right up there. I then noticed it from the corner of the room. There was a white camera in the corner, and it was slowly turning in my direction. Within seconds, the door slammed open, and three men in black suits came in, and behind them was a nurse. Drew was shot in the back of the head with something that looked like a giant needle and fell dead on the spot in front of me. They said nothing as my best friend just laid on the floor, blood dripping from her face and her white eyes glazed over in bliss. She was dead now and finally happy. I was feeling a little traumatized myself and I quickly realized Drew had been telling me the truth. A man came in then, wearing a white coat. 
I assumed he must have been the same doctor that had prescribed all of those drugs. Dr. Zozo. That was the name on the jacket, and he came over to Drew, checked for a pulse, and then wrote something down. He then turned to me and looked at the nurse, nodding. I was only just beginning my journey. The nurse came over and shot me up with something, and I passed out. I could hear them talking as I fell over into him, and he held me in his arms. Hmm, good choice with this one, he said. When I awoke, I was here in this fluorescent shithole. I sat with my head leaning against the wall. Drew had just been a decoy, and I was the prey. If I'd been smarter, I would have told my latchkey friend of two years to fuck off. Instead, I had to pacify my curiosity of seeing her. I sat there, in this room, wishing I'd just left when my instinct told me to get the hell out of Drew's apartment. Why was I always the good friend? Well, this sure would teach me. As I sat there, dwelling in self-loathing, the lights all went out. It was black as night, and I couldn't even see the hand in front of my face. It was the only time that this place had been quiet since I'd arrived. I would have curled up for a nap, but then it began. The emergency lights came on and blinked on and off. There was no beeping sound and no sound of people running like you'd imagine. Instead, it was deathly quiet, and the only sound was my heart beating. I sat there watching and waiting for someone to come and check on me. I expected it since I was of some use to them, but no one came. Then I heard it. There was a sound like sticks hitting the ground over and over. It reminded me of when you're in the woods and you step over dried leaves and crack sticks in half as you walk. It was slow, but then I could hear snorting, and my door opened with a loud bang. I sat up taller in my bed, but I could barely move. Even if I'd wanted to, I wouldn't be able to because I was still chained to this damn wall. I couldn't make out what it was, but it was tall, at least eight foot or so. I could make out an outline of pointy quill-like hair, just sticking up like a porcupine. It didn't appear to have hair on its chest and neck but its legs were very hairy, and the feet were like giant bird claws. Only, they weren't claws. As it stepped closer, the emergency lights came on in my room, and then I could get a good look at this thing. The toes were fused together into three toes. The toenails were long and yellow in appearance, but resembled an emu or some other giant bird. Its hands were humanoid, but the nails were long like a cat, or some large reptile. The skin on its forearms were greenish-brown, and appeared scaly. The face was non-existent, just a skeleton. 
Only one eye was still there, was silvery and red, as though it had a light bulb in its scalp. They were both sunken in like a skeleton, but the other eye was a complete void of blackness. You could literally see nothing except a dark black hole. The jawbone had very little skin left on it, and the cheekbones were pointy, as if the skeleton bones were now a part of some sort of exoskeleton. It was similar in its look to an insect, like a beetle. The only thing that resembled anything human was the skin around the neck. It was still human-like and intact. I stared up into its face as it came closer, and I let out a sound. It was a sob, and it caught me off guard because I hadn't realized I was crying. It got right up into my sobbing face and let out the loudest, most powerful growl that took the wind out of me. It was so loud, it caused the bed to shake and the walls to move as though an earthquake had hit. I was shaking from fear that had now gripped me fully. I reached out a hand and shocked myself as I touched his neck. Fearfully, I sought out the void and our eyes met in that second, soul to soul. The only thing moving was the drool that fell from the creature's long, sharp teeth. My hand trembled as it touched the scales all along its arms, and then it leaned in again, backing me into the wall behind the bed. It gripped me hard by both my shoulders, and held me there as it smelled my neck, and I looked up again into those strange eyes as it pinned me against the wall, and I waited for my last breath to come. Only, I saw it now, more than before. There was a familiar scar near the neckline, and an infinity tattoo with initials D and B. I looked at it trying to understand what I was seeing. I then uttered a sound I hoped would pause it in its tracks and bring me my saving grace. Bill? You know that feeling you get when you realize you're dreaming or that something you experience is just that, dreamlike. Flashbacks of trips with my family, my first kiss, my best friends and I hanging out after school, my first concert, my dad dying, my mum telling me she was moving to Arizona, songs from the soundtrack of my life running around in my head. I kept my eyes closed and it felt like an eternity as time had slowed down. It reminded me of a Mark Pellington music video where everything is frozen. I said the lyrics in my head as my life passed before my eyes. A random Lana Del Rey song began playing in my head. I felt it, breathing in my face. This thing that used to be Bill, as I transcended to another time and space in my mind. It was my little escape, just... Go somewhere, Karen. Anywhere else but here. I told myself as my mind sang. 
I have no idea why I did it, but every time I felt scared, I would hum inside my head. It was like a nervous reaction to whatever bad thing was happening around me. I remember doing it as a little girl, hiding from my dad because I'd broken a lamp. I hid because I knew what was coming next, and I could feel it now in a flashback. The belt, as it unleashed against my backside. At this moment, somewhere in my mind, I could hear the song now. Lyrics about taking something that doesn't belong to them. I felt it now, in this violation, as he came closer to me. It stung, I remember. The crying, the snot, and the salty tears as my face became a dry, sticky mess after. I'd cried that day so hard that my eyes swelled up, matching my backside. I hated my father then, just like I hate myself now. I'd learned from years of trauma how to console myself. All the bruises that I'd hid, and I'd recalled my father's rage and how he grabbed my arm, hitting me across the face, and then felt sorry as I cowered in my closet. I was stuck in that corner, just as I was now. My life had been one trauma after another, and now my being here in this prison with this monster Oh, that was the icing on the cake. I'd read in a book that people that experience trauma react to it differently as years pass. My reaction now was to close my eyes and sing in my head as tears fell from my eyes, just as they did when I was a girl. A distant sound tore me from my transcendence into the netherworld. More clicking on that hallway floor. There were more steps behind and more growling. I didn't want to open my eyes, but I couldn't help the morbid desire to know what was about to happen to me. I looked up, into eyes that would lead you straight to hell, and I could almost feel the fire it brought with them. I would have given anything for it to be my father at his drunken worst, rather than this creature. Just beyond my old friend Bill were four dog-like humanoid creatures. They moved slowly into the room, sniffing around on all fours. They effortlessly walked up the walls of the room like a spider and onto the ceiling at once, crowding all around. All five with eyes only on me, and I awaited my fate to be dismembered at any second. Bright yellow eyes glowed in the darkness, and the creature formerly known as Bill opened his mouth wider to reveal a second set of teeth. He leaned in, and I felt those teeth nuzzling themselves in the nape of my neck, and I felt a sharp scratch, and I began to bleed. They lightly cut into my thin skin, breaking it easily. Blood dripped down my neck, but instead of biting me, it was like he was using his mouth to smell me, not to taste me. The four other creatures, high alert, licked their lips and looked directly at the blood on my neck as their excited eyes sparkled. They did not leap onto me, almost as if they were waiting on the cue from Bill. And then I heard a sound from the hallway. It was something oddly familiar. As I listened, I felt the grip I had on me lessen, and all five creatures turned their heads towards the door in unison. The sound of a music box was playing, 
Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. A man appeared in the door, and I could only see his silhouette. I didn't know what was more terrifying. The creatures, or the man with his music box. Rosie, oh Rosie, come now. You two boys, come leave our guest alone. They all stopped and slowly retreated toward the doorway. The creature formerly known as Bill slammed its hand against the wall behind me, causing it to crack and release the screw that held the chain I was connected to. The creatures all scurried towards the man, and he used some sort of sign language or hand motions to redirect them out of the room and down the hallway to where, well, well I had no idea. The man came in, and hit a button on a remote. Then a light went on, and I got a good look at him. It was Dr. Zozo. He was wearing a strange smile on his face, as though slightly amused. I was prepared to die. I was completely ready to leave this world and never look back. I would feel sorry for my friends and family, who I knew would wonder what had happened to me. It would go on to be a mystery, like one of those people that end up on shows like 48 Hours. Yet, I was only on to the next phase of my journey. I was shaking in terror, still, as this man approached me. He was tall and had light blue eyes. His shoulders were wide as he towered over me, casually with his hands in the pockets of his white lab coat. I'm sorry. His voice was light and gentle. They get excited and like to find new ways to break out of their cages, especially Rosie. He walked toward me slowly, and I was still frozen, unable to move. Who the hell was Rosie? Did he mean Bill? He was coming closer, and when I saw the chain was no longer attached to the wall, I grabbed it and swung it at him. I tried my best to hit him with it. Hey, please, stop. I'm not here to hurt you. He held up his other hand and gripped the chain with the other. What on earth were those things? I finally managed to get out, my voice cracking and my throat desert dry. He looked me dead in the eyes and tried to appear docile as he held the chain. Music seems to calm them down. We think it's something to do with their ears. It's hypnotic to them, and they become easier to control. You're safe now, don't worry. And please, come with me, he said slowly, getting a large ring of keys out, and then coming over to me. He grabbed my leg fast and held my foot in his hands before I could kick him away. He looked at me and cracked a smile, and unlocked the chain connected to my ankle. He rubbed it for a second and then looked up at me. It's okay. Let's get out of this cold room, why don't we? The last thing I wanted to do was go with him, but I felt I had no choice after I'd seen him control those beasts. I was afraid if I didn't comply, I may end up shredded meat. I slowly got up from where I was, and he grabbed my hand to help me up. I released it as soon as I found my feet. I wanted nothing to do with Dr. Zozo. I followed him 
and watch for any creatures to come out. We walked down a long hallway, and I realized I now knew why I'd heard all of those sounds of growling. We passed glass cages, and in each room was a different atrocity. There was a man that looked as though half of his face were made of metal, and he had something protruding from his skull. In another cage was a cat-like woman with two tails and a very long neck. We passed robotic humanoids in others, and the dogmen toward the end. In the very last room before the end of the hall was Bill, or what used to be Bill. He crouched down in the corner, staring at the little box. He never even noticed me as I stopped and stared at him. I wondered if he was in pain, having gone under such a dramatic transformation. Dr. Zozo gently nudged me away and directed me to continue following him. Karen, or is it Miss Evans you go by? He asked absentmindedly as he fidgeted with those keys he had now taken back out of his pockets. I gave him a confused, dirty look and held my arms crossed in front of me. He looked down at me, and a smile creeped up into the corner of his face. Miss Evans, he sighed. My name is Dr. Zazowski, but everyone here calls me Dr. Zozo for short. Why should I care what your name is? I said, just looking at him, wishing he would spontaneously combust. He took a deep, annoyed breath, unlocked a large wooden door, and led me into an office just at the end of the hallway. I went in, unsure what to expect, and feeling a little tired, hungry and pissed off. The very fact that he was pretending to be nice made me hate him even more. This was the same man that I presumed had turned Bill into whatever he was now. I instantly became sullen at the thought of poor Bill, or rather, what used to be him. Well, Annalise will be in here shortly, to take you to get ready. Ready for what? I snapped. I will need to examine you to make sure you are healthy enough for the next step. Where in the hell am I? Underground. Hundreds of feet to be exact. I scowled at him, too angry to cry, but I realized quickly that I had no choice now. Whatever they were going to do to me would be done. A short, petite woman came in, wearing a nursing uniform. Her dark hair was up in a bouncy ponytail, and I quickly noticed a large scar that wrapped itself around her neck. It looked like someone had branded her entire neck. She had me follow her, and I went back out into the hallway only we took a detour past the creatures and found ourselves in a beautiful room with a king-size bed, a large bath, a shower, and green plants adorning the room. There was a window, but it was covered by a wooden blind. As soon as I stepped into the room, my feet were embraced by the warmth of the floor. I stopped at the door and looked down. The warmth I felt didn't match the cold, hard tiles just on the other side of the hallway, or from my previous living quarters. Heated flooring. It's nice, isn't it? She smiled. I walked toward her as she began to run a bath in the large hot tub. 
Here, unless you'd rather have a shower. I think, though, that the hot tub is the best option, she said, stopping momentarily. No, no, the bath, that, that sounds nice, I said, meaning it, but I felt on edge. There are towels over there, and we have numerous shampoos, soaps, and creams for your body and face. Use what you want. She lit a giant lavender-smelling candle. Oh, just leave your clothes on the floor. Here is a robe and a hospital gown. I shivered, thinking about what was awaiting me after my relaxing bath. I took my bath, and, as I washed my long, bleached hair, I thought of my friend. Drew, how did you do it? I said out loud. I had to admit to even myself that the warm water was soothing to me after my days in the prison cell. Tears fell from my eyes, and then, after about an hour, I got a knock on the door. I jumped and sat up, wiping the tears from my face. It was Annalise again. Dr. Zozo would like to know if you are okay, and to let you know he is ready whenever you are. I stepped up and out of the tub, dried off as fast as I could, tossing on the gown and the robe. I followed her back toward the room, and I was... So nervous as to what would come next, I wanted to vomit right on the floor. I managed to hold it together as I stepped back into the doctor's office. When I saw him, I noticed he was writing something down, and he looked up and smiled kindly at me. I noticed he looked younger than he probably was, as I noticed bits of grey peeking out from atop his head. His eyes were piercing blue, almost reptilian, and he had a tan complexion. He was tall, and much taller than I'd noticed the first time. I suppose I could have tried fight or flight, but I didn't because, well, I was too exhausted. I guess that was the plan all along, to wear me down through acts of trauma. He towered over me, as he led me to an examination room just off his office. He stood for a second, and then proceeded to gently remove my robe. I helped him take it off, and he smiled kindly again down at me. I have to say, you are already doing better than I expected you to. You are one of the only ones that weren't screaming and crying for your life, or for me to let you go. Please, please, just don't kill me. I said flatly, rolling my eyes. <laughs> Is that what you want to hear? A damsel in distress? This place had already broken me, making me feel dead emotionally. Five days in a cell chained to a wall would do that to a person. No, not at all. I just meant you were exactly what we are looking for. You are much stronger than even your friend Drew was. You mean... My friend that you murdered. He looked down and sighed. I am sorry about Drew. I truly am. But we should have known after she'd shown signs of imbalances, so to speak. I felt even more angry. If this was his way of apologizing, he was doing a shitty job. Imbalances? I just shook my head. Let's get this over with. I said, 
completely removing the front of my gown, too. He just stood, staring at me, as though he'd never seen a woman before. I was sure that wasn't the case, though. He'd had plenty of time to test and examine Drew before she became useless. I don't need you to be naked for this. He quickly looked down, embarrassed, putting my gown back up to cover my chest. Oh, fine, anything for you, Doc. I smiled in my sarcastic, trademark style. I already felt violated. What was one more violation? My freedom and privacy had already been stripped from me. I just need to look at you and check for signs of illness. You didn't eat for nearly a week. You must be a healthy specimen for the next step. I want to put my hands on you and feel around for any physical abnormalities. Let's start with your head. He smirked looking down at my scowling face. He was gentle as he moved his hands over my face, checking and feeling around my nose and cheekbones before he moved towards my shoulders. I seemed to make him uncomfortable, and I was glad because he deserved so much more. I saw him eyeing my tattoos as he appeared to be studying me. He held up my arms one by one and looked at my wrist tattoo the one that Drew and I shared. Ah, Drew has one of these too, he said, looking at me sympathetically. It was like he was trying to understand the relationship she and I shared, as if human emotion was foreign to him. She was like a sister to me, I said, looking him directly in the eye. I watched his body language as he felt my neck. He refused to meet my gaze, and he sighed uncomfortably. He had me lie on my back as he checked my stomach, and then, noticing the scratches on my neck from Bill, or whoever he was now, he pulled out glasses from the pocket of his lab coat. He put them on to get a better look at my neck, and then, as he turned my neck to look at the other side, I felt a sharp pain on my shoulder. Ouch! I said, sitting up. He looked at me, pulling back the gown so he could get a good look at my back. You have an enormous black bruising on both your shoulder blades. We don't have to continue today. I want you to get some food in you and get some rest. He gently covered me with my robe and then turned, pulling out a jar and handing over a large white pill. I'm not taking any of your weird trucks, I said, backing away from him. It is a Tylenol 800 with codeine. It will come in handy as your muscles heal, he said with a crooked grin, turning away from me. I'm glad you find this amusing. He turned to me then, and I saw the serious look on his face. He wrinkled up his brow, looking down at me. I don't find any of this amusing, Miss Evans. None of us wants to be here. We are all here against our will. This will be all for now. He walked out, slamming the door behind him, and I sat there, alone. When I got back to my room, Annalise had already washed my clothes and dried them. They were sitting on my bed with a new change of clothes and some other things. I was provided with books, DVDs, and other things to occupy me, which meant my stay was going to be a lengthy one. I noticed the window again and went straight toward it.
I lifted the blind, expecting to see a real view. Then, with disappointing reality, realizing it was a screen that showed a view of the Cuyahoga River. I watched birds fly in the scene. I turned and just went to sit down. I heard a knock on the door. I stood and went to open it. I half expected it to be Annalise, only this time a man was at the door. He had weird hair, was roughly four feet tall, and had a tray of food that he was wheeling in. He had large amounts of hair all over his body. I couldn't help staring at him. Dr. Zozo said to make sure you got the best. There's shrimp scampi, bourbon-crusted salmon, cheese, a bottle of red wine. He says it's your favourite. I looked down at it and noticed it was a favourite of mine. It was a brand that was made from grapes grown in volcanic ash. How on earth would he have known that? How long had they been observing me to take me? I guess maybe Drew had planned this for a while, filling him in on every minor detail of my life. Oh, I felt violated yet again, and the thought made me sad, angry, and at the same time, empathetic. I knew she most likely felt like she had no choice. I thanked the man and he left, as I made sure I locked the door from the inside. My fate may have been sealed, but I could wait no longer. The growing hunger in my belly had taken over. I ate like I'd never eaten before, and then I opened the bottle of wine and didn't even bother to worry about pouring it into a glass. I chugged on it, hoping it would numb me. I then went and lay down, feeling overwhelmingly nauseous, and, before I knew it, I was in a deep sleep. Something woke me in the middle of the night. It was a sound of someone moving around in my bedroom. I couldn't see anything, as it was pitch black in my room. It sounded as though someone was near the floor by the foot of my bed. It breathed heavily and I pretended to be asleep, hoping it wouldn't bother me. It wasn't the same type of creature I'd seen before. It was completely different in size and behavior. It was sniffing around the floor, and then on all fours it crawled away out of my bedroom door. I laid there frozen, unable to move. I was there until what I guessed to be morning had come. The wooden shades on my fake window rose, as if someone was remotely controlling them. I could see the fake sky and clouds acting just as the sky would in the early morning hours, and I sat up and looked around the room. I got up slowly and looked at the room as the fake morning light began to illuminate it. I got up and put on one of the outfits Annalise had left for me. I shivered, almost afraid to move, wondering what that could have been in my room last night. I thought of Annalise. She seemed like a nice girl, and I wondered why she had that scar around her neck. I was still trying to understand what Dr. Zozo had meant when he said none of them were here of their free will. I was still scared of whatever it was that had been in my room, sniffing around. I checked the door, and it was locked from the inside, just as it had been the night before. As I stood, trying to understand what was going on, there was a knock on the door. I jumped, 
and then slowly opened it. It was only Annalise, thank God, and I let out a sigh of relief. I let her in, and she had a breakfast tray with her. I smelled the coffee, and that was the first thing I grabbed. To be honest, I wasn't really that hungry after my curious visitor. She was about to wheel the tray away, and she stopped. I'm glad you like the sweater. It looks good on you, she said, smiling up at me. She was a sweet but very strange little woman. Uh, yeah, it is warm. I was cold. It was Drew's favorite, too, she said, and then looked sad. I was taken off guard by her comment, and I looked down at the sweater I had on. I hugged myself, feeling closer to Drew than I had in the last two years. Were you too close? I asked. Oh no, but I got used to her. She wasn't so nice to me sometimes, she said as she touched her neck subconsciously. I nodded sympathetically at her. My thoughts went back to the day when Drew had morphed into a creature out of a horror movie. I wondered if Drew had been on her way to becoming like Bill. Oh, and Dr. Zosa would like to see you at nine sharp this morning after you have eaten your breakfast. She rolled the tray out, closing the door behind her. I looked in the mirror, smiling at my reflection as a light bulb went off. I sat down and looked in the drawer of the vanity they'd given me. I wanted to look presentable, and though, perhaps, if I charmed my way into his good graces, maybe I could get out of here sooner. They had several different shades of foundation, and I chose one that would make my skin appear as though I had some colour. I wanted to look healthy and, well, attractive. I put my long hair on top of my head, I had some final touches of blush, pinched my cheeks, and walked out the door toward the doctor's office. I thought about telling Dr. Zozo about the encounter with the thing in my room, but out of distrust, I didn't. I kept it to myself for now. When I got to the door of his office, I knocked, and he asked me to come in. At the sight of him sitting there, I instantly felt I didn't have the strength to even feign niceness. Sit down, Miss Evans. I thought we could get to know each other a little more. Perhaps you could tell me a bit about yourself, he said, smiling as he sipped on a cup of coffee. Why don't you tell me about yourself first, I said, finding it hard to trust him even though I secretly suspected he wasn't as menacing as I'd first thought. Well, what would you like to know about me? Why are you doing this to me? He looked down, and then stood up, pouring another cup of coffee. He reached for a second cup, and looked at me, holding it up in offering. I shook my head, and he sat back down with only his cup in hand. I thought we could proceed with further testing today. I want to start you on injections to see how well you do on the first round. You didn't answer my question, I said, feeling defensive. I heard you, Miss Evans. I think you already know why you are here. Human beings aren't meant to be in laboratories with other humans doing experiments on them. I mean, what the hell did you do to Bill? 
You mean Rosie? Why are you calling him that? He was a human being with a life and a name. Honestly, it was a name Drew came up with. She had a bit of a dark side and a twisted sense of humor. Drew was still my friend, and look how she turned out. He got up and came over to me then, placing both hands on my shoulders. You are nothing like her. You are ten times stronger than she was already, even physically and mentally. Within a few hours, I already knew that Drew had chosen you for a reason. You are the one that will change things and fix all of this. He looked me dead in the eye, earnestly. Tears were welling up in my eyes, and I looked at him. It made me afraid to think of what this could all mean. I thought back to Drew and her scars. Her misery only made me even more terrified. Change what? What am I supposed to change? What? To be a better baby factory? For who? The mother that controls all of us. I looked at him in horror, trying to understand what he'd meant. She is the one you don't want to disappoint. It is happening soon. I could see the desperation in his eyes. He wasn't lying about any of this because he believed it, and hell, even I believed it at this point, just by looking at him. What's coming soon? I asked fearfully. The shift. Something is coming, Karen, and we need survivors. Please understand, I don't do any of this to hurt you. Instead, I do it to save us. I sat and thought about it for a long while. I figured I had nothing left to lose now. I wasn't going anywhere, not for a long time, if ever again. My life belonged to them now. Something in me broke. And I don't know why I did it, but I just held out my arm helplessly. He nodded in understanding. Put on a pair of surgical gloves and pulled out a large syringe from a small suitcase. He walked over to me. Thank you, Karen. We all thank you. I let him roll up my sleeve, and he injected me with something. I felt it burn instantly, and when I closed my eyes, I saw only blackness. That was the beginning of the experiments. I learned slowly that they were trying to fuse metal of some kind with our blood, tissue, and bones. They wanted to create machines that looked like humans, almost like androids, but instead of robots, they were born, not manufactured. They needed them to be strong and almost immortal. The metallic material was a new form of blood, and I had no idea how it was made. It had to be what had fallen out of Drew's nose that day. Whenever it hit the air, it hardened like clay. There were so many failed tests using only human DNA, however, so they had the idea of combining human and animal DNA. The animal experiments caused a lot of complications. It hadn't been perfected yet, even though Dr. Zozo told me every day that he was close. I believe that is what happened to Bill. He was an accumulation of failed experiments. 
Gates. I learned what had happened to Drew also, which was they had tried to change her DNA because, as their mother, the more she was like the creatures she was breeding, the better the chance of their survival. However, sometimes the creatures would be ready to be born, although they were never natural births, as they had an incubation time of three months, then they would be cut out. Sometimes they would attempt to break out. That is what eventually prevented Drew's body from being of any further use. However, my injections were painful, and it was one failed attempt at turning me after another. They were trying to get my blood to fuse with this new blood. Dr. Zozo was becoming more frustrated over time. It was unusual, as everyone that had come before me always changed in some capacity. Soon, he would realize that I was as useless as Drew, and that is what scared me. One afternoon, we sat and talked over dinner, as we'd grown closer to each other, if only out of necessity. He ensured me that he would be here for every step of the way. Perhaps it was ignorance on my part, but I felt that he and I were in this together. It was only made clearer when I noticed he too had a weird scar on the back of his neck. I ignored it though, and when Annalise brought in our dinner trays, I sat across with him with my dinner, trying not to stare at his scar. If I hadn't been a prisoner, I would have thought that I was at the Four Seasons. Dinner was a charred steak with steamed vegetables. He opened a bottle of wine and poured me a glass of dark red. So, Zoso, how did you end up here anyway? I asked. Well, that isn't a very pleasant story, he said, smiling at me, shaking his head. No, I suppose not. It's just, I know nothing about you, and you know everything about me. It doesn't seem fair. I don't even know your name. Do you have a first name? <laughs> no, that's easy. It's Charles. Everyone back home used to call me Charlie. <laughs> For some reason, I thought it was Ebenezer. I smiled. Like Scrooge. <laughs> he began to laugh. You should smile more, Karen. I hate it when guys say that. I mean it, he said, wiping his mouth. Well, what's wrong with my face the rest of the time? Like, oh, if you'd smile, you'd be so pretty. And other shit guys say. I wasn't trying to be rude, he said seriously. I know, I'm just giving you shit. So, tell me, how did you end up here? I was leaving an OBGYN conference in Pittsburgh, and my car got a flat. I was changing the tire when a black sedan pulled up, offering me help. It was a woman and her husband. They were dressed like they were going to a fancy dinner. It should have been a clue, but I let the husband help me with getting the jack under the car, and then, out of nowhere, I feel this sharp pain in my neck. When I woke up, I was here. That was eight years ago. When I learned why I was here, well, I was like you. I haven't had a normal conversation with anyone 
let alone a woman, in eight years. I guess I'm used to always talking about the testing. This is the first time I've told anyone how I came to be here. I guess I hate thinking about my life on the outside. But I don't mind telling you, he said sadly. I just sat looking at him. And then suddenly, I didn't feel hungry anymore. I didn't like feeling sorry for him. It went against my big escape plan. I excused myself, saying I was tired, and retreated to my room. I changed and went to bed. At around 3.45, I heard the door creep open, and I could feel something watching me as I was lying in my bed. I was lying on my side, which gave me a good view of where its location was, and I could see it watching me from the floor. It just stayed in the corner for what seemed like hours. It didn't move at all. It just sat there. I wanted to call for Dr. Zozo, but I was too afraid to move or even make a sound. Then, slowly and methodically, it creeped closer to my bed. I was too terrified to move, and my breathing began to get heavier. It stood up suddenly, and it appeared to be a man. It was large, and the eyes were that glow-in-the-dark metallic yellow I'd first seen with the dogmen. I heard it snickering and snorting strangely, whatever or whomever it was. It was now or never. I turned on my bedside lamp, and to my astonishment, it was Dr. Zozo. He stood wild in front of me. His eyes were a strange yellow-green, and he was just grinning and panting. I sat up in horror, and then moved to the other side of the bed. I found a shoe on the floor, and threw it in his direction, hitting him in the head. He shook his head quickly, and then looked up at me, and his face slowly seemed to return to normal. There were no more yellow eyes or wicked, menacing grin on his face. He seemed to realize what was going on, and was clearly embarrassed. I'm sorry, Karen. Please lock your door when I leave and make sure there is a chair in front of your door every night before bed. Do it now, he said, running out quickly, slamming the door behind him. I was shaking, and then I began to sob. I moved a chair in front of the door and then sat down on a small sofa in my room. I tried to stay awake as long as I could. I could hear sounds outside my door all night. I heard banging on my door over and over, as though he or something else outside that door wanted to get in. It was a long night, but eventually it got quiet. I finally found myself dozing as I stared at the door. I awoke later in the morning and found myself still on the sofa. I hadn't moved an inch from where I'd sat. I'd fallen asleep, watching and waiting for him to try and come back, to do what God only knows. There was a knock that nearly set me into hysterics. It didn't matter that every night and day I was surrounded by weird creatures, yet that look in Dr. Zozo's face... It scared me, because 
well, I'd begun to trust him. I slowly walked to the door. Uh, who is it? It is Annalise with your breakfast. I opened the door and she came in, acting like her usual chipper self. I wondered how she could be so happy in a place like this. How could anyone be happy here? This was the place that all the monsters were made that haunted your nightmares. All those years people had thought that the park harbored freaks, mutants, and Bigfoot. Well, they were no longer crazy to me, and I had to get out of here. I thought of what the source could be that kept them all here. Who was this mother that the doctor had spoken of? Who was she? I thanked Annalise and she left. I didn't eat. I just sat for a long time staring off into space. The true magnitude of my situation was just hitting me. I sat there for a long time. When I heard another knock. It was Annalise again. What could she possibly want? Irritated, I opened the door. What is it now? Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Zozo wants to see you as soon as you can get dressed. I was sick to my stomach, and the last person I wanted to see was Dr. Zozo. My hands shook as I stood up and dressed, and opened the door to go down the hallway to where his office was, as I had a hundred times before. When I got there, the person I found was neither the doctor nor that creature he was the night before. Instead, I found a man with his head in his hands. When he saw me come through the door, he stood up. His face told me everything I needed to know. It was the look of a defeated man. <sighs> this has to end, Karen. This will end now. He stated this last part firmly, and it was final by his tone. My first thought was how is he going to kill me? By the look in his eyes I knew something bad was about to happen. What are you going to do to me? I truly feared what this doctor might do to me for the first time since I'd made his acquaintance. I need you to come with me and say nothing. Just follow me. I looked at him, too frightened to even move. Now, Karen, we don't have much time, he screamed at me. I went with him without argument, just following down the hall into another room that was blocked off by another dog-man creature. It growled at both of us, and I saw its teeth open as it crouched down. I thought it was going to attack. I backed away. And then Dr. Zozo began to whistle and hum a tune. It tilted its head and seemed to calm at the whistling. We got past it, and he shut a glass door behind us. He led me to an elevator, and when we got in, he hit the button 800. I figured this meant 800 floors. I just stared at him in disbelief. He noticed the strange, fearful look on my face. Is okay. Where are you taking me? He just looked at the numbers on the elevator. 780, 781, 782. 
And up and up we continued to rise. We were up at the top and the door opened into the middle of the woods. How was this here and no one knew about it? I felt a vibration from under me as the ground shook from below where we stood. I don't have much time, Karen. Just go. Run as fast as your feet will carry you. Don't worry about anything. Keep going and don't look back. What? What about the experiment? Won't they come looking for me? No. I'll take care of that. You were never infected. You should be fine. I swear it. He took out a pen and a piece of paper from his back pocket. He wrote down some numbers and handed it to me. I looked down at the paper, and it had random numbers on it. 7, 8, 11, 31, 801. What is this? If you run into any trouble at all, I want you to call this number. It will go to someone who will contact me in case of an emergency. Just go, Karen, and live your life. You never deserved any of this. I see that now. I saw him holding my hand, and he looked at me and smiled. Thank you, Charlie, I managed to say, calling him by his first name for the first time ever. He ran back to the door, and when it shut, there was some sort of camouflage that made it look non-existent. I stood in the cold and looked around. I was too afraid to question any of it, so I ran. I ran till I found the main road in town. I had no desire to stop running until I got someplace I felt safe. I called my friend Andy from a bar phone in the Valley District. I no longer had any of my things, and my car was a piece of junk anyhow, so I didn't worry about going back to Drew's apartment. I reached Andy on the first ring. It wasn't hard to get a hold of him. He lived not more than a mile down the road. When he picked me up, we went back to my place. I'd made up some story that some guy had been dating had left me stranding at the park after a fight. In typical Andy fashion, he made fun of the smell of my apartment that hit you hard as soon as you went in. Yes, you could smell the rotting garbage in my kitchen among the other things. Jeez, did someone die in here? I pretended not to know what he was talking about. I pulled out the garbage and took it outside. I could see that I had a lot to do as I looked around the kitchen. It was exactly like the day I'd left to meet Drew for coffee. I felt saddened then. So much had happened, and I had lost track of time. How long had I been gone? Three months, was it? I didn't even know anymore, because all the days had began to run into the next. So... Jamie wants to get back together, but I told her I wasn't interested. I can't stand cheaters. I just ignored him as I looked around the room. He continued babbling about all the things going on in his life, and, well, I pretended to listen. I didn't want to be rude, but right now I needed to be alone to collect my thoughts. Jamie, you say? She was always a nice girl, I said, half absentmindedly. I opened the refrigerator and found a beer. I handed Andy one and took one myself. I sat at the bar in my kitchen, 
just staring at Andy as he talked. Nothing felt normal to me anymore. Did you hear me? He finally said. No, I'm sorry, you mean about Jamie? No, I asked what was wrong with your eye. My eye? Oh, it's probably mascara. I hid the fact I'd been crying. Well, badly, it seemed. Mascara doesn't do that to a person. Your eye looks weird. Do you wear contacts now? No. What on earth are you talking about? I laughed a little and went into the bathroom. I turned on the light, and that is when I saw it. My left eye was silvery, like a metallic ball. It faded in and out between grey and silver. I stood horrified and didn't move for a long time. I just stood, looking at myself in the mirror. I pulled down my lower eyelid to see if there was some other explanation. No, not now, I thought. I was free now. No, no, this wasn't happening. So I told myself. My hand shook as I reached into my back pocket for the piece of paper Dr. Zozo had given me in case of emergency. I had another thought then. Hmm. Could I trust him? What if he made me go back? I never wanted to see the inside of that place again as long as I was alive. Then I thought long and hard about it. He let me go, and, well, that had to mean something. I would make the call when Andy had left. I pretended that I knew that it was like that, and it was some part of new contact lens line that was out now, that I'd forgotten I was wearing them. Yes, it was dumb, but I couldn't think of another explanation, and I could tell he didn't believe me. He ignored it and stayed until close to midnight, just talking to me about his girl problems and telling me random stories that felt I should know. I'd forgotten how much Andy talked. When he left, I was tired, and I just wanted to sleep. I figured me calling the number the doctor had given me could wait until morning. I had strange dreams that night. They were mostly about Dr. Zozo and the creatures that still haunted me even now in my nightmares. I awoke to birds chirping outside my window. It had been so long since I'd heard that sound, and it was beautiful music to my ears. Then I remembered my eye. I got out of bed and went straight to the bathroom to see if, maybe by some miracle, it had gone back to normal. My hope was dashed and only replaced with more despair. Not only had my eye changed color to almost a metallic silvery tone, but the skin beneath it had begun to sink in. I wasted no time in finding that number, and I picked up the landline phone I had in my kitchen and dialed it. I was shocked to hear someone answering almost immediately. Hello? said a woman's voice. Yes, hello. I'm looking for someone. A doctor. Charles Zozo. Not sure if I have the right line. I'm sorry, Karen, but Mother wants you to know he is no longer with us. And with that, the line went dead.
I stood in line at the local coffee shop in the middle of the mall. It was nearing the holiday season, being late November, and all the crowds were insane. I stood, wearing my large sunglasses, feeling like Audrey Hepburn in a breakfast at Tiffany's Motif. Andy was at the game shop, looking for some game he insisted he had to buy. I decided against my better judgment to tell Andy, because I knew he was the only person in the world that would believe me. He was the most non-judgmental person, and he was the granddaddy of all conspiracy theorists. He loved stuff like the story I told him, all the mystery of it. He literally had every episode of The X-Files memorized, and he told me he'd always suspected something was off about the real Helltown. I stood there watching, as two very obnoxious teenage girls stood in front of me in line. They wore the latest upscale boots and coach purses. One had on an overly large pink fuzzy sweater jacket, and the other adorned a grey North Face coat and hat. What is he doing? He hasn't texted me back yet, said the one wearing the pink coat. Hey, what can I get you? asked the barista to the girl in pink. Um, I want to know... What's in the vanilla latte? Oh, no, don't get that. Get the caramel macchiato, said the one in the North Face jacket. Yeah, I rolled my eyes and waited for as long as I could before my patience wore out. Like, uh, what's in the mint mocha? Asked the one in the pink coat. Excuse me, I interrupted, throwing three dollars on the counter. I need a large plain black coffee while these two decide. I turned to the two girls, who were both standing there with their mouths gaping. The latte is just milk with a shot of coffee. The mocha is basically hot chocolate with a shot of coffee, and an espresso is just a shot of coffee. They basically make a gob of coffee and squeeze it into tiny little shot glasses in the same way your brain cells are fitting in there now. I turned to the barista. Here is the three dollars for my non-specialty coffee, which I'm sure I'm giving you two dollars more than your overpriced coffee is worth. I didn't know if it was the experiments causing my lack of patience, but I felt like a grouchy grandma in the presence of these obnoxious adolescents. The woman handed me a coffee, and I walked off. I went to a table in the food court. Oh, why had I agreed to go with Andy to the damn mall? <sighs> If only the presence of all the holiday shoppers would keep me occupied, instead of thinking of my unbearable fate as an experiment by a mad scientist. Finally, Andy came over to where I was sitting. Hey, sorry it took so long. There was this huge line for this game. I know if I didn't get it for my nephew, my sister would kill me. I shrugged. Eh, it's cool, I'm in no hurry. I sat there eyeing the girls I'd just insulted, and not feeling one bit guilty. It was like something inside me had switched off any normal emotion or feeling. Was I depressed? Was I in shock? Was it the experiments taking hold of my feelings now? Either way, I didn't care. I was just happy not to be locked up anymore. I did wonder with some sadness if Dr. Zozo was okay. He may have been a mad scientist, but he'd been putting that situation against his will, just like Drew and myself, not to mention what had happened to poor Bill. Andy was babbling as usual, 
And now the topic of conversation was about some Marvel comic book he'd bought at Comic-Con. Uh, I loved Andy, and I appreciated him. But sometimes you would never know he was a 34-year-old man. Finally, the topic of conversation turned to music, and he showed me an article about Marilyn Manson and how he fired Twiggy. I just stared at him, and then my mind zoned out to the dogmen and their love of music. Andy, do you mind if we go now? No, I'm sorry for going on and on. I just can't believe the world we live in. I still can't believe what happened to you. He looked at me and touched my hand from across the table. It's okay. I'm sure we'll find a way to fix this. We have to, right? Andy looked at me, and in typical Andy fashion smiled at me, and then we left the mall. We went back to my apartment, and part of me just wanted to avoid it. It had all these reminders of the underground bunker, or whatever you want to call it. It was scary, and I would not be able to sleep again for a long time without seeing Dr. Zozo at the foot of my bed, in the way he was the last night I'd slept there. His eyes were so menacing and threatening. It wasn't the man I'd thought of as a friend. Did I consider him my friend? Was it just Stockholm Syndrome? I mean, it could have been a lot worse there if I'd not had a protector like Dr. Zozo. We pulled into the parking lot of my apartment complex, and I noticed it had already gotten dark outside. How was this even possible that winter was here already, with its shorter days and longer, darker, and more menacing nights? I hated the dark now, and all the fears it carried with it. I now knew that the monsters from your nightmares were real. I was forever changed, and until you see what I've seen, you will never understand the depth of panic when the night time comes. Here it was, my little apartment nestled in a small area not far from the park that was known as Helltown. I got out of Andy's car after bidding him goodbye and then making my way up the sidewalk and into my building. I jogged up the stairwell and soon I was in my apartment. It was the one my ex, Sam, had picked out when we were living together a few years ago. He'd moved out about a year ago now. Well, I'd kicked him out, to be more exact. It was after another argument over money, and then I discovered he was popping pills again, and that all his income was being used for his new habits. It was worse than being cheated on, in my opinion. There was nothing to show for it, except the fights of the long nights of not knowing where your partner was. He would stay out late at night with his new friends, mostly dealers, and not come home till four... Five, even seven in the morning. It wasn't always like that, at least not in the beginning. I finally kicked him out when he failed to come up with his rent for the third month in a row, and I was carrying us both financially. I didn't want to live like my mum had, so I kicked him out and never saw him again. A week later, he died in a car crash from being so messed up. His car went over a bridge and he died on impact. Looking around now at this apartment, with the memories both good and bad, it left me with a surreal feeling. Nothing felt real anymore. 
I looked at the pink pillows on my ivory couch and the clean wooden floor. It didn't feel as though I belonged here anymore. I walked into the bathroom, and as I went to run a hot bath, I passed the mirror. I stopped to look at myself, and my face was so strange to me now. The silvery eye was striking, and although I tried to find myself beneath it, I couldn't find anything I recognized. To me, the silvery eye was more me than the blue one that was there before it. I took my bath and nearly fell asleep while in it. I managed to get out before I drowned and found myself sluggishly walking to my bedroom and collapsing on my bed, falling asleep instantly. I awoke to something not long after I'd passed out. Was it moving? Something was off. I could sense it. I don't know how I knew, but I did, and then I saw it. Just outside my bedroom window was this little branch tapping at it, and I sighed in relief. <laughs> Perhaps my paranoia had set in, and eventually it would go away, but right now I was suddenly very thirsty and needed a drink of water. As I went towards the kitchen, down the long hallway from my bedroom, that is when I saw it in the pitch black. There were red eyes glowing at me from the living room. It was an outline of something humanoid, but oh, those glowing eyes. I quickly began to panic, and I stepped into my kitchen grabbing a large butcher's knife. The creature didn't move an inch. It just stayed there in the corner, staring at me, just glaring. Then something strange happened as I stood there all alone with only darkness between this creature and myself. I could read its thoughts. Only I quickly learned it could also read mine, and it jumped up into the air and landed on the ceiling. I held up my knife and screamed at it. I don't give a shit what you are. Just get the fuck out of my house. If you don't, I will cut you from your neck to your torso. I noticed my front door was wide open, and, as I noticed this, it jumped down and ran out the door. I quickly turned on the light in my kitchen, and as I did, I could hear it running, or rolling, down the stairs to the ground floor, making a weird bird-like sound as it went. I ran to survey the room to ensure there were no other surprises waiting on me, which I did in a matter of seconds before closing and locking the front door. I stood shaking, unable to steady my hand as it still held tightly to the knife. I took a deep breath and looked around my apartment. I no longer felt safe there anymore. I picked up the new cellular phone I'd got at the mall earlier that day and called Andy. He picked up on the first ring. Andy, can you come get me? Something was in my apartment. I have to get out of here. Shit, yeah, on my way. He sounded as panicked as I was, and within minutes he was calling me from the parking lot. I grabbed what items I could find and ran out the door, making sure I locked it on my way out. When I got to the bottom of the stairs, I sped up, fearing what could be down there still waiting for me. 
I told Andy in detail about the creature, and he suggested we go someplace far away. So we decided to drive two hours south to Hocking Hills, where his grandpa had a cabin. It was isolated, and Andy felt that maybe it would be a great place to hide me. Whatever that creature was, it wasn't out to get me. I felt as though it was sent to spy on me. In the now two weeks or so since I'd been out of Helltown Laboratory, I'd had no contact with anything there since that phone call to reach Dr. Zozo. I fell asleep on my way to the cabin while Andy drove us. When I awoke, there was a sunrise coming up over the road we were on. It was glaring in my face, and I sat up in the car, feeling mildly disoriented. Andy saw me and handed me a thermos with coffee in it. <laughs> I'm always prepared, he laughed. Jeez, I bet you're just loving this little adventure. I laughed too. Well, it's not like I have anything better to do right now, he smirked. When do you go back to work with your dad? I asked, trying to have a normal conversation. Hoping we can start back up in March. Spring and all the weather is better. Hey, we're here. We slowly pulled into the longest driveway I'd ever been on. It was at least half a mile long and was surrounded by woods on either side. It was noticeably darker in between these trees. We pulled up to the house, and there was a cabin with a giant wraparound porch. It was much nicer than I'd pictured in my head. The cabin was newly built and was large enough to fit two families. We usually come here at Christmas or the 4th of July, he said, helping me out of his car. Jeez, it's gorgeous, Andy. Why did you never invite me here before? I teased. <laughs> I honestly never thought about it, he laughed. When we got in the cabin, I noticed little apple trinkets all over the kitchen. It had a large island made of oak, and it matched the trim on the walls and cabinets. There was also a large upstairs with an equally large balcony, and the living room had high ceilings with animal heads on the walls. It was your typical hunting lodge. Jeez, is your gramps rich or something, Andy? Well, he did start the company my dad and I work for, he said, grabbing a beer. <laughs> it's seven in the morning, man, I said, laughing. You want one, freak? He asked me, pointing at my eye. Yes, I said, dead seriously. We sat in the living room watching movies most of the day, trying not to think about the fact that, just hours before, my past had returned to haunt me. That creature was something they'd cooked up in the lab. I was sure of it. The entire day remained like this, well into the evening. It was nice, just hanging out in the middle of nowhere. It was quiet, and we had a little barbecue on the grill, just the two of us, like we'd done back in the day. We sat drinking beer most of the day, and filling up on junk food. Before I knew it, dusk had come. We went inside, locked the doors, and hung around watching movies, and talking on the big couch that stretched around most of the living room. You know, it's too bad Sam and Drew aren't here. 
Like back in the day, we used to have so much fun. What happened to you and Sam? I cringed, not wanting to think about it. Nor did I really want to talk about it. Andy, people just grow apart. But you two were so good together. I always wondered what could have happened to break up the wonder couple. Like I said, it's more complicated than that. I said, placing my beer on the coffee table. Yeah, I know. Hey, I'm going to head upstairs to bed. Let me know if you need anything. Andy, you are a lifesaver. I meant it. (laughs) I know. He winked and turned to go up the stairs. That's when I heard it. There was a large glass window in the living room, and a large white curtain covered it. There was a thud on the window. We looked at each other, and then we heard it again. The thud, again. Then something sliding down the glass, making a squeaky sound. I gulped and felt sweat on my forehead, suddenly as Andy slowly walked toward the window. Just before he reached for the curtain to pull it back, there was another thud on the back door. We turned toward the door. There was a little apple-patterned curtain hanging on it. It was sheer, and you could see a figure on the other side of it that appeared to be the outline of a woman. What the fuck? Andy looked at me. An isolated cabin in the middle of the woods. Jeez, what could go wrong? I joked, making light of the situation, but realizing all too well that something was very wrong. Andy grabbed a shotgun from a cabinet, loading it. He was about to walk toward the back door when he saw the woman bang her head on the window. She hit it with a hand and then hit her head on the thick glass. As she was doing that, there was another thud from the large window in the living room. Andy yelled towards the door. I have a gun, and I will use it. Get off my porch. Andy, look upstairs. There was a large window at the top of the stairs of the cabin, and there was thud after thud coming from that window, too. The sounding thuds came in unison, as whatever, or whoever they were, continued to hit every wall on the outside of the cabin. I walked back into the kitchen, Andy and I stayed close, fearing that one false move could end in something much worse. I looked at the back door, and I saw it then. There was an outline of a woman, or something, with long black hair, just hitting the glass over and over until blood spilled out from its skull. The splash of blood seemed to grow, as the creature hit against it again. The creature didn't seem to stop, even though it must have been painful with that amount of blood. I noticed from the upstairs window I could get a better look at one of these things. It was a female creature, with black scraggly hair, and it was wearing a hospital gown, and was holding onto the window in the same spider-like manner 
as the dogmen when they had walked up the walls that day when I'd seen Bill. It had a scrunched-in nose, and the skin was charred, as though it had been set on fire at one time. I stood frozen, and then, from behind us on the other side of the house, it began. This time two creatures approached the front door, and they too were in hospital gowns of some kind, with the same hair and faces. This time I got a good look at them. If you've ever seen the movie The Exorcists, the faces of the demonic child, the yellow eyes, the sickly skin, the gross teeth and unnatural human strength, well, that's what these creatures resembled. The creepiest thing of all. They were all the same. It was as though they'd been cloned. Shit, it's getting in. Andy's hands were shaking as he stood with the gun facing the back door. I stopped moving and looked at the window. Suddenly there was a small fracture in the glass. It slowly travelled up the window almost in slow motion, getting larger and larger until the glass gave way. The glass fell out, shattering onto the kitchen floor. The creature stuck its head inside the newly created opening in the door and grinned eerily at the both of us. Without the glass separating us, I knew then and there it was over. Andy tried and failed to shoot it. As the gun went off, it barely even grazed the creature. It was coming in the door and others were now behind it. I mouthed the words, I'm sorry, to Andy, as the ghoul began to crawl inside the broken door, and soon they were going to be upon us. I freaked out, backing away from Andy and crumbling to the floor. I held onto my knees and hid my face in fear of my oncoming death. Andy was yelling at me to get up and run, but I couldn't move. I closed my eyes and began to hum. Andy's scream sounded so far away as the world closed in on me. A paralyzing fear gripped me and I stopped breathing. I couldn't even seem to move even though everything in my mind told me to get up and run as fast as my feet would carry me. I could hear more bumping against the cabin, over and over, as though the walls were going to cave in from the vibrations. One of the creatures stopped suddenly, as she slowly put her arm through the window of the cabin door, unlocking it from the outside. She crept in slowly, with that Cheshire cat grin on her charred and scabbed over face. Her yellow teeth had small points on them. She crept closer to Andy, slowly. She began to laugh as she slowly walked toward the both of us. Andy was standing above me in some sort of shock of his own, as these creatures were trying to enter the cabin at every chance they could get. It reminded me of an infestation of wasps, with their hive minds all set on one goal. To harm us. The woman stopped unexpectedly and tilted her head down at me. I was still humming something and stopped smiling as she stood there. 
I had not realised I was even doing it until I heard it. It triggered the others to stop as well, as if they were all communicating with each other. I looked up at the fiend standing within six feet of Andy and myself. She seemed to be interested in what I was doing, as if she was suddenly being calmed. That's when I remembered Dr. Zozo telling me music calmed the dogmen creatures. Perhaps it too was something that these creatures would be calmed by. I acted quickly and yelled to Andy. Andy, go turn on your music. What the hell are you talking about? Don't ask me questions. Just go do it now. Trust me. Now. I started to hum or whistle any tune at all. Andy seemed to be confused, but luckily... He ran to his stereo and turned on the radio. At first, it was some DJ talking about the weather, and I almost lost it on Andy. He caught my cue and quickly turned the station. Some classical music came on, and the creatures stopped in their tracks. They seemed to calm almost instantly. One of them began swaying back and forth, and the other that was upstairs trying to break into the window on the second floor dropped from the window. I looked at Andy, and he looked at me, unsure as to what the hell was going on. Music calms them. It was something Dr. Zozo told me. We must get out of here now, while we can. If that damn radio stops, we are in trouble. Where are the keys to your car? I asked him frantically. He reached into his pocket, Grabbed his phone, and we both seemed to take deep breaths as we managed to walk past them. Before we did, Andy grabbed the remote to the stereo and turned the volume up to max. It made sense, so that the creatures outside could hear the music too. It was the most bizarre thing in the world. They were all standing in place as though someone had pressed pause on them, and they could not move. I looked at Andy, and we slowly walked past the others that I noticed were just outside the house. There must have been twenty or thirty of them, and they were all just standing there. We got into Andy's car and sped out of the driveway. Within minutes, we reached the highway, and neither one of us said anything for a long time. We were afraid to move still even though we were no longer in immediate danger. Andy finally pulled over into a truck stop diner to get gas and some coffee. We entered the small diner, and there was no one around. There was a sign that said, Seat yourself. So we found a booth and sat down. Andy dug into the menu, and I just stared into space, not sure what to say. I'd forgotten about my freaky eye. And when the waitress came over to the table, I saw her glance at me and then roll her eyes. Hi there, my name is April and I'll be taking care of you this morning. What can I get you to? She said in a slight southern accent. Two coffees, an order of pancakes and whatever she wants, said Andy, slightly annoyed. I looked at him and I could see he was pissed off about something. I looked up at the waitress and told her I only wanted coffee. Andy, are you okay? Karen, 
What the fuck? What just happened? You better hope they're gone by the time my grandpa goes out there. Shit, I'm gonna have to call and make a police report. I... Oh, I, I can't do this, Karen. He got up and grabbed his cellular phone and walked away from me. I watched the waitress come over with the coffees. She looked at me, then looked away as quickly as she could. She was trying to make an effort not to stare at me, but she was making herself more obvious as she looked down, avoiding any eye contact at all. You said your name was April. Oh, yeah, honey, said the young girl to me. I'm sure I was at least ten years older than she was. You don't happen to have a cigarette, do you? I hadn't smoked in a decade, but right now I could use a shot of bourbon and a smoke badly. Well, I do. Can you keep this between us, though? My boss thinks I stopped smoking. He said I was taking too many smoke breaks. She pulled out a pack of menthol cigarettes and a lighter with a snake on it. She handed me a cigarette and the lighter. Make sure I get this back. This is my favorite lighter. I lit up right in the middle of the diner, even though it was a designated no-smoking zone. I smiled at her, got up, handed her the lighter and walked outside with my cup of coffee. I'll be back in five. Thanks, I said. I saw Andy sitting on the sidewalk. He was talking to someone, then hung up when I came over to him. I hugged my arms to me. I was freezing, wearing only a sweater since we'd left so quickly. I sat down on the sidewalk of the diner next to Andy. I handed him my cigarette. He didn't blink an eye as he took it. I'm sorry, Andy. I knew I should have kept this all to myself. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to snap at you back there. It's just, I've never been more scared in my entire life. I can't imagine how you must feel. I need to go back. Andy looked at me for a second and then shook his head. I have to, Andy. I have to see if there's a way to fix this. I want to see if I can find Dr. Zozo. I need his help. I have no idea what they did to me. It wasn't working. And he thought I was immune. I know you need help, but what if that guy is dead? I guess I'll have to find out. What do I have to lose at this point? Oh, no matter where I go, they find me. I need to find out why. I can't live like this forever. Do you know how to find that place again? He asked. Yes. He was in the woods at Indigo Lake. I want you to take me there now. Andy just looked at me and nodded, putting out the cigarettes. We went back into the diner, and then we were ready to go back to where it all began. As we drove, we got closer to the destination I had longed to forget. I had no idea how I knew where it was but I knew exactly how to find the entrance to the underground facility. I could feel it now, with everything in my being. As we drove closer and closer, it was like a switch that was going off in my brain. Andy kept looking at me in the car, like he was checking to see if I was okay. We slowly pulled up to Indigo Lake Park, 
and when we pulled in, I could see a dim light from the restroom area. He turned off his engine, and I slowly opened the car door. I walked slowly out the short gravel driveway, and then I crossed the train tracks. The train station was on my right, and across from it was the beautiful lake that used to be a mining quarry. It was said there was still old equipment at the bottom of that lake, and just up the road was the beginnings of the abandoned hell town. I cringed, thinking about what was under this beautiful park. What lingered under the towns that made up Helltown was a top-security facility that was led by mad scientists all working for some she-bitch they referred to as the Mother. I had to find out who or what she was, and why she was doing this. In my naive brain, I really believed in my heart I could fix it. I turned to Andy, who was walking behind me. It's so pretty at night under the moon. It's hard to believe that just up that trail and beyond those woods lies hell, I said to him. You say everything is underground? Yeah. As far as I could tell. Then, what's that? He pointed to a red light in the sky near the moon. A plane? I said. You ever see a plane that red? Maybe it's just the angle, I said to him. It was perhaps within seconds. The light disappeared, and then we both felt a very strong vibration. Something was moving under the ground beneath us. I looked at Andy, and he looked at me, as if to say, What now? I grabbed Andy as we ducked into the tall grasses that grew along the sides of the lake, just as the ripple hit the water. The vibration from under the ground got more intense, as a light from beneath the water glowed. I held onto Andy's arm as we sat, looking at the water. There was a bright red light that began to glow from beneath the lake, and then it went out. I went to stand up, but before I could, there was a sudden change in the atmosphere around us. There was no sound that we could make out, and there was a pain in my head. Andy held on to his ears as though they hurt. I noticed it then. The large black shadow that was now taking the place of light that had been there only seconds before. Something large was rising from the water slowly, and as it did, it created only blackness around it as it rose. From the lake came a large cube-shaped object, and it cast a shadow over the both of us. It was roughly the size of a medium-sized house. It came up and out of the water, and soon it floated over the lake. It just hovered there, making not a single sound, nor did it have any light. We watched it for a good five minutes before it slowly began to disappear before our very eyes. It faded out, and then we could once again see the moon in the sky. A red light appeared in the sky again, and then a second one joining it. We watched as the lights joined into one and slowly floated over the forest in the distance. Andy let go of his ears, and all was seemingly normal again. 
I had no idea where it came from, but I had no doubt it came from where I was going. I looked Andy dead in the eyes, and he seemed to understand. Are you really going to go back in there alone? Yes, I have to. I don't want you to go, Karen. How would I know if you're okay? I'll make sure I find a way. I don't want to use our phones because I'm afraid they'll track you down and hurt you. I said, looking up into his brown eyes. I swear, if I don't hear from you in a few days, I'm calling the police. I hugged him and promised to find a way to reach him to let him know I was okay. I looked past the lake and gulped as I turned from Andy and walked toward hell. I walked up the hill of the paved path and entered the woods that soon engulfed me. It was so dark, I had to concentrate on my whereabouts to ensure I could find the spot that Dr. Zozo had released me from just a few weeks before. It was as though there was a transmitter inside my head. I seemed to think about the door that I needed to find and then I could see it in my mind's eye. I just knew where it was. I had to find the entrance. I walked a few yards and then I found myself going off the paved path deeper into the trees. There was no longer a path to follow, and the branches and the logs of long dead trees gave me a harder path to create for myself. I struggled against the cold, as well as the search for the secret door to my fate. I had been so tired of being who I was before any of this had happened to me. <laughs> I guess the best thing is to be careful what you wish for. I touched my face and felt sunken in slightly from the diabolical changes going on inside me. My body was now something for someone's little experiment. I had a hard time thinking Dr. Zozo had done it purposefully to me. I saw the look in his eyes that morning. He was scared. I was lost in my thoughts, and then, as I tried to take my mind off what I was doing, that's when I felt it. It was like the natural air went out of the woods that surrounded me, and I could feel a warm, invisible spot in front of me. It was different from the rest of the area, which was cold and icy from the first snow that day. I approached slowly, and the trees began to fade from view in the darkness. I could see an exit sign appear suddenly in the distance, as though I were looking outside a window from the outside, and that elevator with the glass doors came into view. I grabbed my phone, prepared to play music or something in case one of those dogmen met me at the end of my elevator journey. I stepped onto a concrete platform, and then... I could see the facility as clear as the hands in front of my face. A white fluorescent light came on as soon as I stepped inside a doorway just off the platform. I pushed a button on the elevator and a door opened. I took a deep breath as it was now or never. There was a camera on the inside of the elevator and it didn't look the same as before. Something was different about this already. It was a new security feature, and under the camera was a screen. 
A robotic voice came over the speaker inside the elevator. Please activate, it said, so completely unemotional and direct. I didn't know what to do, but I knew within an instant that the security feature would cause whoever was now in charge to be upon me within a matter of seconds. I bent over to see the screen, and if there were any buttons I could press to override it. Not sure why I thought that suddenly I had never been a technical person, yet somehow I was able to understand this. A red laser suddenly came on and scanned my face. It seemed to stop and linger around my left eye. Activation is a go, said the strange robotic voice, as the elevator closed its doors on me and I began to descend into the pits of hell. I wondered what was on the other floors, as I descended to the underground and back to the place I had only now dreamt about in my nightmares. I was scared, but there was a familiarity about it that was bordering on comfortable. I knew what to expect, and even though I was scared to death, I had to find answers, and maybe even find Dr. Zozo and see if there was a cure for whatever was going wrong with me now. There was a jolt when the elevator stopped, and the doors slowly opened. There was already something different about it when the doors opened to that hallway I had become so accustomed to. I couldn't see a thing, as the lights they once used in the hall were now gone, and it was pitch black. I slowly stepped out of the elevator, and all the glass cages were now dark, and they all had green glowing handles on all the doors. It appeared to be a new security feature as well. My heart was beating so fast as I walked slowly down the hallway. I was hoping to find someone that had worked there when I had been held captive. So far there was no one around as I walked down that lonely, dark stretch of hallway. I peered up at the glass and my breath was taken back as one of those odd creatures stared back at me from a corner of the glass cell it was in. The eyes glowed like a panther, and when it appeared closer to the glass and put its face into view, I nearly fell back in shock. Dr. Zozo, I gasped. He seemed to realize the familiar voice and put his hand up to the glass. I looked at his now claw-like hand with the long black nails and the hair around his knuckles it was black and long. The hair on top of his head was now longer too. Karen, he seemed to whisper. I sent you back, he exclaimed through silvery pointed teeth as I could now see as he got closer to the green glow of the door handle. What did they do to you? I asked now seeing his face. He looked like some cat-like beast, or maybe it was more reptilian. I had no idea, to be honest. Karen, there is still time for you. Go. Why on earth would you come back here? He asked with a growling voice. I pulled out my phone and turned on the flashlight feature located at the bottom of my screen, so he could see my face. I turned it around, pointed the light at my face, and when he looked at me, it took him a second to realize what was wrong. When he did, he looked upon me with empathy and then shame. 
Oh, Karen, what have I done? Nothing that I didn't agree to, I said, tears welling up in my eyes. I put his hand up to the glass, and I put mine up to his. Never had there been two people so completely different, and yet now so completely the same because of circumstance. Never had I ever wanted to touch someone so badly in my life, but this glass was like the Great Wall of China. We stared at each other for a long moment, and his eyes were still the doctor I had become so familiar with for all those months. His eyes glowed in the dark now, but they were still his. There has to be a way to fix this. Can you help me? Oh, Karen. You should have never come back. They will kill you. It's a chance I have to take. I need answers. Who is the mother? Can I find her? Can she help me? He looked past me and then at me. Karen, behind you. There was a tall man with two others behind me, and they were coming my way. The hall light came on, and then the tallest of the three I could see was a doctor. He had red hair and light brown eyes. He had an evil glare in his eyes as he was approaching me. Grab her. Tranquilize that one. He will be upset when she's taken, and we don't need his outbursts again. Last time he nearly broke the glass. Who are you? I asked. I could see Dr. Zozo noticeably agitated and pacing back and forth. He was thinking of how to stop it, as I could almost read his mind. His cat-like reflexes became even more obvious when he jumped from the ground all the way up to the bunk bed in his cell. I hadn't noticed how tall the cage cells were. I watched in disbelief as he then jumped toward the top of the glass door with everything in him and it cracked. The man with the red hair laughed, and the two men shot at Dr. Zozo, causing him to fall with a loud thud. Is he dead? I asked in a panic. No, he'll be asleep for a while, said the man with the red hair. Then he turned back to the glass cage and yelled, That's right, Zozo, I've got something you want. Better play nice next time, or no toys for you to play with. <laughs> he laughed wickedly. Who are you? I asked, looking up at him. I'm Dr. Randall. I'm the new doctor in charge after this loser screwed everything up. He wasn't supposed to let you go. But he did because he's weak and apparently took a liking to you. I guess eight years with no play will do that to a person, if you know what I mean. He winked at me, laughing as though he were the funniest person in the world. I looked at Dr. Randall. He was young, very young, and he was very much unempathetic. Within seconds, one of the two men that I realized were his henchmen shot me with a needle, and before I could run, I was slowly becoming unconscious. The lights in the room spun around and around. I was becoming so dizzy. And then, nothing. Just black. To the authorized men of science, be that which belongs to science. 
Woe to the child who believes himself wiser than his parents, to the man who acknowledges no masters, to that dreamer who thinks and prays by himself. Life is a universal communion, and in such communion do we find immortality. He who isolates himself is given over to death thereby, and an eternity of isolation would be eternal death. I awoke, strapped to a table, naked, and my head was killing me. There was only a sheet covering me, and the cold ripped through my bones like a razor blade. It felt like I was in a freezer, being preserved like frozen meat, just waiting to be thawed. My legs and arms were strapped to a metal examination table, and deep down, I knew I'd reached my end game. Sudden fear gripped me that I had made a dire mistake coming here. What door had I opened to invite this into my life? What on earth was I thinking? I now knew I was in the hands of pure evil. I could feel him behind me. I sensed there was someone in the room with me, and when I turned my head in the direction behind me, I could sense him. Dr. Randall stood behind me, just watching me. His bedside manner was so far removed from Dr. Zozo that I could feel the ice in his veins. I just trembled there, suddenly realizing it was getting colder by the second. I heard him move in my direction, and he injected me with something. It burned, and I became instantly nauseated. There, my little pet... Soon the pain will subside. I moaned, feeling so ill that I couldn't move. My head was spinning, and my body began to ache. I could suddenly feel my hands shaking, as though they had a mind of their own. I began having what I could only guess must have been a seizure. I felt my body disappear beneath me, and my eyes rolled back in my head. I began to tingle and feel the loss of feeling slowly move over my body. It was barely noticeable at first. I began to feel burning in my abdomen. I heard him laugh at me. Instead of helping me or reaching out to see if I was okay, he seemed to take sick pleasure in watching me suffer. I just laid there, after feeling weak and wishing I could die. The pain from my abdomen went down my lower back to my legs, and he came over and directed a small flashlight into my face. It burned my retinas, and I couldn't blink. My biggest fear was that he had cut off my eyelids because I couldn't seem to feel the skin above my eyes. I realized he had my lids pinned back so that I couldn't close my eyes. The desire to blink was gone because... Whatever he had given me stopped any feeling in my eyes. I slowly began to realize, after the painful sensation, I was now paralyzed all over my body. I thought, perhaps, I was dead, and that I was seeing myself being given an autopsy. Unfortunately, I was still alive, as I heard rubber gloves being put on with their squeaky elasticity, and the movement of him undoing the buckles around my ankles. 
He moved toward the bottom of the table and put my legs in stirrups. I began to breathe and pant in fear of what was going to come next. He began to examine me. Humiliated, I just laid there. I was limp as I felt the pressure of him using his hands to examine the inner parts of my body. He was so matter-of-fact, and it was as though it was being done to an animal. I fought off the urge to cry. Not that I would have felt the tears rolling from my face anyway. It looks like you have never had any children. Hmm, that may be an issue. First-time mothers always have a hard time. Let's face it. Let's face it. The babies you will have will be like no human child. <laughs> he laughed to himself and then stood over the top of me. He came very close to peering into my face. He was so close, I could smell his bad aftershave. At least you're good looking. That always makes it easier on the mate. It is nature after all. No one wants to fuck an ugly girl. He treated me like I was a piece of garbage. He didn't care one ounce what happened to me. I'd been scared before, but when this man touched me, I felt like I was being assaulted. He didn't care about me or my well-being. Ah, there we are. Look, you're almost ready for him now. The way you are changing, you'll be ready, physically at least. The sudden feeling began to come back to me, and I could feel my legs heavy and my mouth as it just drooped open, suddenly becoming wet with saliva. He pulled the pins from my eyes without any warning, and I screamed. He pulled down the sheet that was over the top of me, and just stared at me. Then, without any rhyme or reason, he put his head on my chest. I swallowed hard, tensing up. My arms were still strapped down beside me, as I took in short breaths. My eyes were so dry as tears began to slowly well up in them. Ah, you have a healthy heartbeat, Karen. That will be efficient when you have to run for your life. I just looked at him in disbelief, and when he noticed, he smiled and patted my cheek with that stupid glove still on that he'd used to examine me. Yes, you will run. They like the chase when they want to mate. Leaning up, away from me, pulling off his rubber gloves, he undid the straps my arms were in and pushed my legs together, putting the sheet back over me. Do you like games, Karen? I love games. Especially Marco Polo. That was always my favourite. He laughed giddily. I didn't respond, because my lips couldn't move, and my body was still weak. My head felt like it was going to explode suddenly, and my teeth hurt. He pushed me up quickly from where I laid, causing even more dizziness. I can tell by the look on your face that there is a good possibility you have. He threw a hospital gown at me to put on. He walked over to a screen on the wall, 
that I could only guess was a hospital chart of some kind. Then I heard a woman screaming from another room near mine. Oh, goody, another is being born. My little shadows. <laughs> That's what I call them, you know. They're mine because I make them. He walked out quickly, leaving me alone. I began to cry as I clung to my hospital gown. What fresh hell was this? How many were there here in the same position I was in? I tried to get up from the table. I fell to the cold hard floor, and that's when I saw it. My fingernails were very long and black, like claws almost. What had he given me? I knew something was changing in me, and I felt so much despair suddenly. I managed to stand up and put my gown on. As soon as the door opened, I backed up and into the examination table. I was scared till I saw that it was Annalise. She timidly walked toward me with a look of concern on her face. Are you okay? She asked me. What do you think? I snapped. I'm sorry about Dr. Randall. He can be a little crass. Why are you here? I mean, why are you in this place? What did you do to deserve any of this? I asked her, still holding my gown against my skin, trying to unsuccessfully cover my nakedness and shame. Look, I know that this may seem hard to understand, but not all of us are here against our will. Some of us are just grateful for not being in the place we came. Here, I can help people like you. In the real world, I'd be the queen of heroin. Exactly like I was before Mother found me. You're special, Karen. Or you wouldn't be here. She chose you for a reason. Who the hell is she? Annalise came over and helped me put on my gown gently and then put a robe around me. You'll meet her soon, once you've passed the test. She knew you would be back, you know, she said simply, as though it didn't matter she was telling me something devastating. What do you mean? Dr. Zozo didn't know it, but they put something in the injections that would make it work. Even he didn't know it. He would have stopped it. He's a purist. He likes things to be just so. That is why he's in the situation he is in. He asked about you. I told him you were in good hands. I was far from being in good hands, and I realized I quickly had been betrayed by Annalise as well. I had no more friends here now, I thought. As I looked down at the floor, slowly moving my eyes up to my blue feet and legs. My toenails were faded yellow, black and blue, as if they'd been hit with a hammer. I used to, once, take such good care of them with pink nail polish or red in the summertime, and now I felt and looked like a zombie. Something was wrong with my face, and I didn't want to see what it was. The curiosity was driving me insane, though, and so I looked at my reflection in the glass that surrounded the examination room I was in. 
My hair was the only thing that resembled my former self. I cried inwardly as I saw my skin and body. I was thinner than I was used to, and my once full cheeks were bony and sunken. I was taken to a new wing of the underground lab. Annalise took care to ensure I was made to be comfortable, but the room was cold and very hospital-like. It wasn't the same room I'd been in before, and part of me longed to be back there where I felt safer. I lay down and cried myself to sleep. The dreams of him began that night. I could never see his face, but I knew it was some form of man-like beast. I always felt those teeth inside of my neck and the claws inside my back. The cutting of flesh in a mating dance of some sort. The pain didn't bother me in those moments either. And then the cold, harsh reality of who I had become always woke me. I saw eyes looking back at my own, yellow and black. Oh, and those teeth. I woke in a sweat, and then the door opened just as I felt incredibly sick to my stomach. Dr. Randall was coming in. I wanted to run from my bed before he reached me. He approached me and whipped off my blanket. There was blood on the mattress. I had no clue why. Oh good, you are ready, he said, smiling. There was a tall nurse wearing a black uniform behind him, and he wore a black doctor coat. Ready for what? I asked in a panic. <laughs> the games. Now, get up. I was led against my will to a room with a cube-shaped box. I stood watching as it lit up light blue as I walked into the room. It was some sort of laboratory with high walls made of glass, and there was strange equipment that reminded me of a science fiction movie. He opened one side of the black cube with a blue illuminating light and shoved me in, slamming the door to the opening. I was now crouched in a three-by-three-foot shaped box. I started to slam my hands on the door, but it wouldn't open. I felt the air began to leave my lungs, and now... No matter how hard I tried, I could not get that door open. You can open the box, Karen, if you have the will to live. His voice came into a tiny speaker inside the box. You have to use your mind. I knocked on the door again this time with my fists, and still, nothing. I heard his menacing laughter taunting me as I tried kicking it as well. My fingers were soon bloody, and the air was going out of my lungs quite quickly from the panic. I felt as though I were being buried alive. God, you bastard! Let me out! He laughed again. <laughs> Tell me, Karen, have the dreams begun yet? I paused then. How did he know? Oh, they are quite natural, I can assure you. If you don't have the scent and the desire to mate... You will be of no use to any of them, and they will kill you, ripping you piece by piece. I started to cry again, and then I closed my eyes. When I did, something in my brain clicked. I didn't know if it was desire, or ability, or both, but suddenly 
I could now see how to open the box, although I had no idea how I knew what it was I had to do. I concentrated on the particles of the door and the seam that locked it shut. I could envision it undoing the very molecules that held it together, and then, bang, the door flew open from where I was. I crawled out as fast as I could, and then two men grabbed me. Let me go! I think it's time for a break. You can let her go. Good work, Karen, he said, chuckling, and then walking out of the room. The tall nurse led me out of the room and back into my own. The bedding had been changed and there was a fresh gown on the bed. Before I could go to the bed, she forcibly put me in a shower, shutting the shower door behind me. I wasn't sure if there was about to be another test, but then I felt the steamy warmth of the shower and I closed my eyes. Just as I was enjoying it, she shut it off and then took me out of it, drying my hair roughly and pushing me to the bed, nodding for me to put on the gown. She took my dirty things with her, and she shut and locked the door behind her on her way out. I heard it then, a voice so gentle and warm. Karen, me strong, this is only temporary. I had no clue where it was coming from. Then, as I sat on my bed, I saw a strange blue orb come into view. It flew above my head and danced around. It reminded me of when a child blows bubbles, and the bubble floats up into the air and then falls to the ground and pops. The blue orb flew into the wall behind me and disappeared. I was stunned by its beauty, even though it seemed unreal, like so many things that were happening around here. I leaned back and fell back to sleep, worn out and physically tired. I saw him again this time, the walls were caving in around us, and even though we were still in an embrace, the pain that was about to happen from the fall didn't seem to matter. It had to be, and it is what I was told, for the greater good. I woke again in a sweat, and I had only a few moments to collect my thoughts before the evil, red-haired Dr. Randall came in to fetch me. How did he always seem to know when I'd had one of those dreams? He seemed to arrive almost immediately, following my waking up. He came in and sat on my bed before I had a chance to get up. He put his freckly hand on my leg and began to rub it. Karen, I think today you shall learn to swim. It is crucial you pass these tests. He smiled his slimy smile at me, and even though he was so young, maybe in his mid to late twenties, he scared the hell out of me. After everything I'd seen and experienced, he was the only monster that I was afraid of. Get up, Karen. Let's go. I stood, shaking, unsure as what to do with myself. He took a hold of my arm with his large hand, and before I knew it, I was being taken to another laboratory. This one had a giant swimming pool in it. I felt my hands sweat and my stomach churn as I realized very quickly what plans he had for me. Floating above the large indoor Olympic-sized pool was another cube. His two henchmen, 
Tweedledee and Tweedledum, as I'd nicknamed them in my head, stood like robots, each with one of my arms in their muscular hands. They pushed me to the edge of the pool, and then there was a slight loosening on my grip as one of them pushed a button to bring the cube closer to me. There was no step. Instead, they undid the door to the cube and picked me up, tossing me inside of it and then lowering it slowly down. <laughs> Sink or swim, Karen. I heard the doctor's menacing laughter. I took a deep breath and I knew that human beings could live up to three minutes or so without any air. Yet, what about superhumans? Is that what they were making me into? I knew I could do this if I concentrated. I closed my eyes as I'd done before, and tried not to care that the water was quickly rising to my chin. Something was different about this test, however, and I knew then my gifts, or whatever they were, would not work this time. Oh, come on, Rabbit, you can do it. If you sink, I can see another gorgeous Latina lady that would make a beautiful substitute. Within seconds, my entire hair was covered with water. The only bonus of my entire head being covered with water was that I couldn't hear his annoying voice. I had only one thought, besides the impending doom of death. How did he know about my friend from work, Louisa? She and I had worked at the same law firm in Cleveland. She was the personal assistant of the head attorney, and I was the data entry clerk. That is, before I became a lab rat. I would never let him go to her, so I had to think of a way to escape and do it fast. Water covered my ears and my mouth as darkness settled all around me. And for a split second, I welcomed death. Only death meant more death. I knew then they would not stop until they finished what they'd planned. I became calm suddenly, as though I could somehow meditate, finding a sort of zen. I imagined air coming into the cube, and I saw it in my mind's eye, causing it to blow apart like an air balloon that would soon pop. I heard the screeching of the air entering the cube, and then it burst, just as I'd envisioned it in my mind's eye. I kicked the bottom beneath me and pushed myself to the top of the deep pool. When I reached the top, my lungs filled up with oxygen I so desperately craved, nearly passing out. Tweedledee and Tweedledum jumped in to fetch me. I saw Dr. Randall come over and reach his hand out to pull me out of the pool. I pushed it away, using all my strength to pull myself out. He just stooped down to get a good look at me. He nodded, then gave me a wink. <laughs> good rabbit. Are you wet because of the pool, or are you just happy to see me? He laughed. Oh, go fuck yourself, pig. I like your enthusiasm, Karen. Someone else will, too. Take her to the cage. I scowled at him and didn't care where he decided to take me. I was determined to fight if I had to. What more was there to test? I'd passed them all. Tweedledee and Tweedledum led me to a large glass cage with a divider in it, 
On the other side of it was a man, or a creature, or, well, I couldn't say for sure. It was crouched in the corner, and was missing nearly all his hair, with a long, Frankenstein monstrous scar running along the left side of his scalp. Was this another scare tactic? Well, I would show them. What was one more boogeyman? It was Tweedledum that pushed me into the room, with brute force, and the smile he had on his stupid mouth made me spit into his face. He didn't like that, and hit me across the face. I fell to the cold, hard tile floor. It was lined with white and black tiles, like a chessboard. Blood fell from my mouth, hitting the white of the tile, and it looked so red. I realized I had sharper incisors, like a vampire. When the hell did that happen? How did I not notice this before? I looked at him with a look of someone that would murder if given the opportunity. I started to envision him catching on fire, hoping that he would spontaneously combust. He noticed a blister on the top of his hand and immediately backed out of the room. As soon as he did, my powers were useless. Dr. Randall came over to the glass window. Rabbit. He shook his finger at me. Now make my mother proud. Why don't you say hello to your new friend? Rolling my eyes, I looked over to the man on the other side of the glass. He was facing the corner and didn't move, as though he was full-blown catatonic. Dr. Randall left me alone, and then the lights in the room dimmed. And besides the man on the other side of the divider, I was completely alone in the darkness. I went and sat on my twin bed that they'd furnished me with. Out of boredom, I looked up at the man. What was his deal? Hey, you! I yelled. He didn't respond. He just stood there in the corner with his back to me. Hey, man, what's your deal? What creature of the night are you? Dogman? Pantherman? Lizardman? <laughs> I started to laugh. It was so ridiculous. I went to the corner where there was a toilet, realizing nature was calling me. As I sat there, I looked over to the man, who was still just standing there. When I finished my business, I cleaned off and stood up walking closer to the man from my side of the divided glass. There were holes in it, so I knew he could hear me. He still didn't move, so I gave up and went to lie down. As I was lying, there, just staring up at the ceiling in the dark room, I felt him then. The man turned towards me, and finally I noticed he had yellow, black eyes like a cat. The rest of his face was normal, except he too had large incisors that were vampiric in nature. He just looked at me, and then shook his head. Oh, when will you learn, Karen? I looked over annoyed, and then hope rose in my soul. <laughs> it was Dr. Zozo. Well, I live and breathe. Charlie Zoso. <laughs> I sat up and walked over to the glass to get a good look at him. If only you would have stayed away, 
he said, looking wounded. How could I? My eye glows like metal. I was hoping you could fix this. But I see, now, that isn't the case. He stepped closer to me. His face was the same, except now he had no hair and his eyes were like a nocturnal creature. Are you okay? I don't like to see you hurting, he said in his typically overly concerned tone. I think it's obvious at this point I can take care of myself. Jesus, man, you look like shit, I said, astonished at how bad he looked as his face got closer to the glass. What had they done to him? <laughs> I will take that as a compliment. Thanks. He managed to smile. I mean, you look like they just gave you a lobotomy. What did they inject us with? Do you know? I had so many questions. I believe they want us to become stronger for the final step. It is the only way she will know that you are right for the end game, so to speak. I don't get it. Why did they stick you in here with me? Oh, you are top reader now, Karen. You work for her. Tell me you aren't that naive. Why do you think they locked you in here with me? <laughs> he started to laugh. Oh, I said, embarrassed. Isn't it a little hard considering there's a large sheet of glass between us? I laughed nervously. Oh, it's okay, Karen. It's not at the top of my list of things to do right now, he said, rolling his eyes at me. I think if we work together, we could get out of here in one piece. You're right. Why would they think that would happen anyhow? Uh, the injections can make you a little... Uh, what is the word I am looking for here? Uh, charged. <laughs> it's okay, you can say horny. I started to crack up. Oh, in all seriousness, do you have any idea if there's a cure for what they've done to us? Yes, I believe there is. You must get through Mother to get it, though. There is a large area beneath where we are that is a room made of all blue light. I have seen it only once. If you can get in there, you have a better chance of finding it. Where it is from there, I cannot say for sure. In the meantime, uh, dinner has arrived. There was a short, heavy woman that came up to the glass wheeling a large cart with two dinner trays on it. It was some sort of stew and bottled water. How nice of them to give us the four-star treatment, as we were now living in cages like the animals they'd turned us into. I took my bowl and sat on my bed. The woman soon left, and I looked at the stew, afraid to even eat it. I was realizing how hungry I now was, and I looked over to Dr. Zozo, who was devouring it like a beast. I watched him licking it up like some sort of dog, and then he threw the bowl down on the ground. He looked up at me as I just watched him in astonishment. He had soup on his face, and as he wiped it off his chin, licking it off his hands, he looked over at me. Better eat up. You will need your strength. What's in it? I asked, looking at the mystery meat in my food. 
Who cares? Just don't think about it. Eat. I ate it slowly and sipped on the water I was provided, and then got extremely tired and then laid down. I felt better because I wasn't alone anymore. Having him here, even if it was on the other side of the glass, was a great comfort to me. I looked up at the ceiling, and I realized they were acclimating us to each other like beta fish. When I was in college, I used to have a friend that would breed beta fish. The one thing you learn is that to mate them, you must place the male and female in bowls side by side. After a time, the excitement will grow and the male will sometimes jump from one side of the bowl to where the female is to fertilize the egg she lays. If I was right, that was exactly what they were doing to us. Are you asleep? He asked me after an hour or so. No, I can't sleep either. You want to play word games? I laughed. <laughs> what do you have in mind? I have no idea. I spy, maybe. Sure, you first. I spy something yellow. Too easy, your eyes. <laughs> Damn, you are good, he chuckled. Okay, my turn. I spy something white. The walls? No. Guess again. Your hair. <laughs> he laughed. No. My home. I'm picturing it now in my mind's eye. I just want to go home. I'm done playing these games. I regret ever meeting Drew. I'd never be in this mess. The only good thing, I guess, is well, I met you. You've been a good friend to me. I said, beginning to cry. He sat up in his bed and walked over to where I was sitting. He came over to the glass and put his hand up. Karen, you will find a way out of here. I know you will. Me? What about you? I'll make my way. I always do. I turned away from him in my bed and began to sob. I just wanted to go home. It was like something was breaking me in half. There was so much I longed still to do in my young life, and this was not it. I closed my eyes and tried to sleep. I woke up in a sweat, and I could feel him. His eyes were on mine, and there was something in the air, like electricity. I was afraid to look at him. In this moment, he scared me to my core. He uprooted my very being, and it was hard to fight what was about to come next. The glass cracked before I could stop it, and the room seemed to devour the both of us. I was in his arms before I could stop it. We were no longer in control of ourselves. Whatever they had given us caused an animalistic need that went beyond basic attraction. I felt his arms around me, and then I blacked out. When I awoke from the fever pitch of the moment, I looked around. The evidence of the crime we committed against each other was all around me. The walls had cracks in them, and there was glass covering the floor. The amount of blood was the most alarming thing about it. 
I was naked except for the blood that covered me, and in the corner lay a man, possibly dead. At least, I thought he was. When I approached him, I was too afraid to touch, as he had gashes all over his body and glass in the bottom of his feet. I looked for something to wrap myself in. I grabbed a sheet from the floor and put it around me. I was sore all over, and I crouched over him. He was still breathing, thank God. I put my hand over my mouth in a panic. I heard fast-paced footsteps coming in my direction. The door to the cage was open just a bit, and I wondered if it was the result of our actions. I didn't want to leave Dr. Zozo there on the ground, possibly susceptible to the elements of this place, but in that moment I had no choice. I looked at his face, and his eyes were closed. I stroked his head. I'm so sorry. I must find a way to fix this. Please forgive me. I kissed his forehead and ran from the room. My heart broke for him and all that he had endured. But I had to find the cure and a way to stop these madmen. When I got to the end of the hall, I looked behind me. Bloody footprints covered the hall and I knew... No matter where I went, they would find me. I took off my sheet and wiped my feet clean and tried to clean off the hall so they couldn't see which direction I'd gone in. I heard Dr. Randall. He'd found Dr. Zozo. In my head, I heard it then. I could hear Dr. Zozo talking to me telepathically. How the hell was this possible? Run, Karen. You must run. Find Mother. They're coming. At the end of the hallway, there were two choices. Left or right. What choice should I make? I turned right down the hall and nearly slipped on the blood from my legs and feet. I tried to keep the sheet wrapped around me it kept slipping. I could hear Dr. Randall's footsteps behind me, but I kept hearing the voice of Dr. Zozo inside my head, telling me to keep going till I reached the end. I fell and found myself crawling towards the blackness of the end of the hallway. I could feel it, and it was a strong vibration of some kind. And then I heard her. Mother. Karen, come to me. Come to mother. I have much for you to live for. Follow my voice, Karen. I kept going further and further into the void, and then I could no longer hear Dr. Randall's footsteps behind me. It was as though she were blocking them from me. I stood and slowly walked toward a steel door as wide as the hallway itself. It slowly slid toward the right, then opened into a dark room and it was a smell that caught me off guard at first. It reeked of death and decay. I could see her, or whatever this mother was, as a brown, slimy thing that was slithering across the floor. It stood slowly, and the skin from it hung from her as though she were melting. She was yellow and filled with pus, 
as though she were an infection with eyes. Her dark black eyes were almond-shaped, and they just glared at me as she came closer and closer. Then she slithered toward me, and I got a really close look. Her breath was the worst thing, as she opened her mouth. When she did, she revealed five sets of teeth, and her tongue was black and gory with rotting flesh. She looked deep into my eyes, and I couldn't look away. I clung to the sheet that was still wrapped around me, but I couldn't move to run. I knew then and there, she was the queen of the hive, and any wrong move I made would end up with me on the cutting room floor. Karen Evans. Karen Evans, what a fine sight for my weary eyes. Her raspy voice slithered. What do you want? My voice tremored. <laughs> your body and your soul, of course. I will reward you for all your efforts. Karen, you are already my child of darkness. What are you talking about? I looked at her. I studied you for a long time. I never wanted your friends. I only ever wanted you. I'd led them to me to find you, and I saw you inside Drew's mind. I knew then who you were, and what you were meant to be. But I thought you only just found me. Ah, she said, spitting goo from her mouth into my face when she shushed me. Don't you recall from an early age you desired things of a dark nature? When your father was beating you to death, you called out to me. You wished for me. I was the voice inside of you that told you all good things come to those who wait. Did you ever wonder why his cancer spread so quickly? I was your fairy godmother, my sweet. My sweet, sweet Karen. Then you wished for Sam to die, and poof, he was gone from your life like a mosquito being squashed. No, no, I never wanted Sam to die. I loved him. Ah, but you did not. The night he decided to take what wasn't his, when he spread your legs against your will, and then his drunken body got into that car to never be seen again. You wished then he would not make it home alive, and then I made it so. No. I just wanted him to get caught by the cops. He, he never hurt me. He never did that. My voice trailed off, only recalling what my mind had wanted me to remember. Yet, Sam had hurt me that night, and I had told him to stop, but he didn't. I was recalling it now with a clarity I had no desire for. She was filling my mind with darkness. It wasn't as concrete as all that. We'd had rough sex before, plenty of times. It wasn't rape, it was just sex. Kinky, but that's all it was. You felt it after you got the call. Do you recall what it was, Karen? Her voice slithered like a snake. Yes, relief. I bowed my head in defeat. The tests were to prepare you for this moment. The more we studied you, the more we made you compatible with me and my kind. You see, Karen, we come from a far-off place, 
and this planet is due to descend into dust. I just want to take what is mine before it goes. <sighs> like Lotus. God, you make me sick. I backed away from her. I guess you could call us that. But look at everything I have done and will do for you. I will give your body and soul everlasting life. You will have control over all things. This is a gift. Take it. I looked around the room, trying to find a way out of there. She was on to me before I could move away. Yeah, you ungrateful wench. She grabbed me by the throat with her black nails cutting into my skin. You are already carrying the child that will be born where we are going. I had to have an insurance policy. It is going to grow no matter what you say, and when it is ready in ten days or so, it will crawl out of your body and leave you into dust with the rest of your kind. I ran for the door, and my sheet fell off me. I didn't care how I was naked. All I cared about was getting the hell out of this room and away from this evil demon. The ground began to shake at that moment, and I fell to the floor. I could hear things coming from the other side of the door. Have it your way, Karen. But first, I'm collecting my insurance. She stepped over to me, and with her bony finger, she began to cut into my womb. I screamed loud then, and on the other side of the steel door I could hear things hitting against it. I thought you may want to go with the rest of your friends, Karen. With one swipe of her hand, the door opened, revealing every single creature that had been born in this place. They were just standing there, waiting on her to give them instructions. One swipe of the hand, and they would split me into pieces. The pain was getting worse as she continued to cut into me. And then I heard it again. Dr. Zozo's voice. You are the key, Karen. You must remember what you are and what we made you. You are the key. I closed my eyes, just wishing that I would die. As the she-bitch cut into me, I felt it growing in me then. There was a power suddenly inside me that was revealed to me. I don't know why I was able to hear Dr. Zozo, but I thought maybe it was because of what we'd done back in that room, when we became connected somehow. I could feel her strength weaken. She was a weak thing, and that is why she needed me. I could see it so clearly now. She stopped for a moment, leaning into my face. Karen... Are you thinking you can stop me? Can you really stop all of us? That's when I saw them. Every creature was in that hallway, beginning to come closer and closer to me. I clung for life beneath her grimy fingers that were still clutched around my neck, as the other one made a large incision into my abdomen. I closed my eyes, and I began to recall things in my life and things that had changed me. The tests, the cubes. If I could get out of those, I could get out of this mess. I had to. I quickly racked my brain for all information, and it all came so fast. But one thing stuck out more than anything. I closed my eyes 
recalling a session where Dr. Zozo gave me a test after I had arrived here. Karen, it is called remote viewing. Do you know what that is? No, but I suppose that's going to be another one of your lessons, hey, Doc? Ah, it is a visualization method. The military uses it from time to time to find out information using their mind. Some of the drugs we have given you will help us determine if they are in fact working. Let us begin. He'd held up a photograph. Karen, what is this? Seriously? A mouse? Okay, what is this? He held up another one this time, of a rabbit. <laughs> rabbit? <laughs> What's up, Doc? I joked. He smiled and then went on to another one. Lizard? What's the point of this? One more, he said impatiently, and held up a blank photo of white. It had nothing on it at all. Is this a joke? There's nothing on it. Ah, Karen, humor me. Look at it deeper. What do you see? What is the first thing that pops into your head? I have no idea, I sighed. Ah, Karen, I want you to close your eyes, then draw on this piece of paper what you see. I closed my eyes and drew a woman with short hair standing in the kitchen. She had orange juice in her hand and was pouring it for two boys. I focused on them further and realized they were twins. He watched me gulping hard taking a deep breath as he focused on me. When I was finished, an entire random scene had unfolded before both our eyes. He looked at it for a long time, then looked up at me. Karen, can you tell me what this is? A woman. She's in her kitchen. There's a big bay window, a counter, and two boys. They're twins, uh, both with light brown hair and greenish eyes. I like your blue-green eyes. He looked down for a moment. That was my wife and twin sons. I have not seen them in eight years. Well, my wife left me a long time ago because my work took over. She and I divorced a year before I found myself here. Remarried to a nice guy. Rick. He's good with the boys. But my boys were always a huge part of my life. They were toddlers when I came here. This is the first and last time that I will see them. What do you mean, the last time you'll see them? I'd asked, sadly. Karen, I will never get out of here. You gave me a chance to see my kids one last time. I'd forgotten it soon after it had happened, but it taught me something then. I now knew how to use remote viewing to find a way out of here. I began to envision the thing that could stop her. I smelled it then. The creatures began to scream one by one. Something was hurting them. I saw in my mind's eye the tunnels. The other floors contained tanks of formaldehyde and gasoline which was used to heat the tanks to keep the creatures inside them warm like a womb. I concentrated on those then, and in the gas lines, I envisioned the fires heating up higher and higher. I saw her glaring into my eyes, and then she stopped holding my neck. I was becoming too hot for her hand to touch. I 
I concentrated on burning them each, one by one. I didn't care. The screaming worsened, and they began to scatter all around the halls, running away from the building. I held on, still concentrating on her, and then her weak, disposable body began to literally melt. I was sweating profusely, and the blood on my abdomen had begun to clot. There was a loud explosion, and then there was the fire. The fire came down each tunnel quickly, and destroyed everything in its path. I moved from my spot, quickly running down the hall, before the fire could get Dr. Zozo. My fears were suddenly realized, as the man I had grown to love in a weird way was now dead at my feet. His body too weak to move, he'd been caught up in the smoke and heat from the tunnel explosions. I used my hands to close his blue-green eyes, and then I ran for my life down the hall. When I went to go from the room, Dr. Randall was laying on his back as his legs were ripped from his body. Look what your boy did to me, he said to me before I turned to leave. I looked at him for a long second, and then left the room. Please, kill me, he screamed as I walked out and ran down the hall. My body slid down the hallway, as I slipped over blood and other unmentionables. At the opposite end, there were bodies of creatures just lying dead. I had to slow my pace to step over them all. I paused for only a few seconds as I saw Bill, his body limp and dead, just like the rest. I was saddened, but I had no time to think. I ran to where I knew I could find an exit. I found the tunnel that led to the sewers above ground. I could hear that bitch behind me then. Before I jumped backwards as she crawled toward me in a mushy mess of burning fire, I blew her a kiss as she spread apart like a feather to the wind. I jumped down a large chute that led to the sewer tunnels and I felt the water boil behind me as I fell. Before I landed into the gross-smelling sewer tunnels that led back to the end of the water treatment plant, there was a huge explosion. I knew then that I had done it. I had ended the hell that was made for so long under those grounds. I was able to call Andy after the smoke had literally cleared. Some hikers found me wandering around, and I'd forgotten I was naked. It would have been embarrassing if I had not been through so much already. Andy sped up the drive so fast, he almost hit an older gentleman with his walker. <laughs> About damn time, he said as he hugged me after racing toward me. Thank God it's over, I said, crying happy tears into his chest. He and I stood there for a long time, and eventually the smoke was noticeable from the streets, and soon police and government clean-up crews arrived. I had no clue how much our government knew about what had gone on under those old towns known as Helltown. I had no idea, and I didn't care. There was one thing that concerned me. When I finally did make it to a regular doctor, 
not some mad scientist. That was, I was, in fact, pregnant. By this point, I'd moved in with Andy for protection. I was afraid to be alone after all that had happened to me. I woke up every night, thinking that I was back in that place. I feared what kind of child I might have. My fears eventually subsided when it didn't try to break out of my womb after that so-called three-month mark I'd heard so much about. Nine months later, and some extra, my baby boy was born. I named him William after my friend Bill. It seemed fitting for some reason. My son was completely normal to my surprise. He had no weird cat-like features, dog, lizard, or even those of some alien she-bitch. However, there were strange things about Little Willie, as I called him. One of them being that he was highly intelligent. He was far more intelligent than all the children by the time he was old enough to go to preschool. I also had to keep dark sunglasses on him to cover up his eyes. It all began at around six months old. His eyes started to change one day, and the blue-green eyes he was born with were now a metallic silver. He was sweet, but when he looked at me with those eyes, it put me right back into those few months I was in Helltown Laboratories. As time went on, there were other things that were different about Willie. I ended up homeschooling him in the end. Right now, he's in the backyard playing with his new toys while I write this. I suppose there's nothing to worry about, but he likes to play games with the animals. It's like he's communicating with them in his mind. Not to mention, there was the day I found him playing with insects. There were these ants that kept getting into my kitchen, and no matter what Andy did, they just kept coming in. One day, Willie went outside and began to stare at them for a long time. Eventually, the path the ants took was around my house and not in it. You see, my powers began to fade with each day that Willie got older. That doesn't sound like anything to worry about, right? I mean, I do love my little boy, and he brings me such joy. Although, I have to say I'm aging quite quickly, and at a much faster rate than other women in their early thirties. Just the other day I took Willie to the playground, and a woman came up to me and asked if I was his grandmother. I would have been quite upset, but I just love my little boy so much. Andy stays away a lot these days, and he works longer and longer hours at the office. He doesn't like to be around Willie much. He says the kid is a freak. I don't think Willie is a freak, though. I feel like he's a gift, because before Helltown, before Dr. Zozo and Dr. Randall, I was told I couldn't have children. Right now I'm getting ready to take Willie to the park. He has a playdate with a little girl named Sarah. I'll see how far I get, though. My bones are quite weak, as though something is sucking the life out of them. Yet, nothing can break my spirit, because, after all, I have my perfect little boy. Come, Mama, let me help you to the park, says Willie as he takes my hand. 
Okay, Willie, I say, standing up slowly to get my car keys. He looks at me now with those metallic eyes, and I hand him his little black glasses. I love the park, Mommy, and I love you. I reach down and kiss his little forehead. And I love you, my sweet, sweet son. So there you go. Thank you for sitting with me through these three and a half hours of this fantastic story. Were you happy with the ending? Well, if not, don't despair. Because like I told you, there's the alternative. Did we turn right or did we turn left? So skip ahead to after the end credits to listen to the alternative ending. And of course, I'll be back again with you real soon with another story. But that's not quite all for me this evening. <laughs> nice to say that for a change. Okay, see you all again soon. But for now, bye-bye. Thank you so much for choosing to spend your time listening to me. Now, if you enjoyed the Dr. Creepin experience, then come find me on Facebook. Come chat with me on Twitter. Listen to the background music and download it if you like on SoundCloud. Drop by the store, pick up a t-shirt. And, importantly, if you've got a story you'd like me to read, send it to Dr. Creepin's Vault, the subreddit I set up so that I could read your stories. Now, Looking forward to seeing you all again real soon, so come check me out, okay? Hello. Hello. If anyone can hear me, won't you please radio in? My name is Dr. Charles Zozowski. Some know me as Dr. Zozo around here. And seven days ago, the world ended. Oh, of course you can't hear me. You are all dead. I just hope to God that maybe one person out there is alive and listening for signs of life. I tell you, I... I'm alive. I know this is going to sound odd, but after looking through the rubble, I found my friend Karen Evans's diary. She has a lot to say, but she is gone now, and I cannot find her. You see, there was a nuclear blast caused by our labs that wiped out everything, thanks to the mother. I guess I should start from the beginning. Well... She didn't listen to me. You see, my friend, Karen, was trying to escape, but she was manipulated into following the wrong path. When she last saw me, to run and get help, and to help us escape the evil Dr. Randall, she turned left instead of right, like I tried to tell her. She ended up in the clutches of the Blue Goddess Mother. 
I have no idea what transpired then and there between those two, but when I saw Karen again, she was not Karen. The mother had somehow devoured her very soul, her essence. None of this is going to make sense to anyone out there. If you can hear the ramblings of a man slowly going insane. Before she disappeared, she came to me. She seemed to know things that Karen never knew. Karen, please, save yourself, I said. But it was far too late to save her then. She was already in the clutches of the alien life form that had come for her. She looked clean, clear, and already affected by the blue alien that stole Karen's very existence and put herself inside of Karen. It was as though she was possessed. She had no love in her soul, even though she pretended to care. She had kissed me on the forehead as though I were a pet dog. To be honest, I am not sure what bothered me more. The fact that she no longer gave a shit about me for real, or the fact that she treated me as some pet. Oh, silly doctor, you shall love again. Oh. And with that, her skin began to change color. Don't worry, I will fix you, she'd said, before looking over the wounds I had endured prior to her meeting the mother. All will be right with the world. She makes everything all right. Won't you come with us? She had asked in this sing-song tone of a voice. No, Karen, please listen to me. She isn't going to help you. She will use you up until there is nothing left of you. Her eyes had glowed blue with tears in them. I know, I know some part of Karen was still in there. If only I knew where that was. Right before the explosion, Dr. Randall had found Karen and tried to kill her. He was a bastard, and I can only imagine the things he had done to Karen when he was alone with her. If I could have killed him myself, he would have been dead already. You see, a deal of some sort must have been made by Mother and Karen. A soul for everlasting life. The only thing is, I can still feel her. Even though the Mother took away Karen's body, I can still feel her soul. I know that bastard Randall did something. He always had a backup plan. He wasn't going to let his latest conquest go unscathed. Mother or no mother. Thing is, where is she? Whose body did her soul float into, if any? I can still feel her here on this desolate planet. I'm living underground now, waiting for sundown to try and find my way out of here. I just don't know what to do. There are many things about science and man we do not yet understand. There are, in fact, alien races that want to harm us, or at least take what does not belong to them. Mother took Karen's body, and she took our unborn child with her. That child should be the least of my worries. Oh, Lord only knows what brand of terror it would bring to this world between what they did to me and what they did to her. A mutant, most likely just like everything else here. Disfigured entities with barely any humanity left in them. I fear what I will find when 
I get to the top, back on land and out of the tunnels. What kind of earth will await me? I have taken precautions and I have taken care to myself, as I am now barely able to walk. I tried using the computers, but all systems are down. The only thing I found was an old radio that I could use for communication. Hello? Hello? I, th I think I can hear you. Is someone there? Is anyone there? No. Not anything. I keep thinking I hear someone or something. I'm hoping against hope that someone is up there. That someone can help me find her, even though I know it is doubtful. Please, Jesus Christ, is anyone out there? I think it's been nearly two weeks now. I keep placing check marks on this old laboratory wall. I'm hoping that maybe today will be a better day. That maybe I will in fact hear someone out there that can give me hope. My coordinates are 41.26292 degrees north, minus 81.55872 degrees east. If you are out there, search those, and then go underground by 800 feet. Wait. I hear you. Is someone there? Charlie? Yes, this is Charlie. Charlie Zazowski. It is a woman's voice, faint as though coming from a far-off distance. It sounded broken, as though it wasn't in the here and now. Charlie, this is Karen. Please, help me. 